Uh, let's talk about our f- previous chapters, shall we? What do we see in chapters 8 and 9? That's what I want to know, and I want to know it from you now. As I said, I'm coming in with strange energy this week. Good luck to you. Good luck to you all. <laughs> Thanks, Drift. Uh, yeah, Hedwig is the real hero, says the wedding. The wedding indeed. We've got um, uh, Bill Weasley getting married to Fleur Delacour. Uh, it, this has been an event that they've been talking about for a good long while. And uh, the hope is that, you know, things are going to go off without a hitch. They've got Harry disguised uh, as a, uh, a cousin, a Weasley cousin. Um, of course, that's challenging. But with a bit of Polyjuice Potion, anything is possible, it seems. <laughs> Y'all did miss a real weird entrance. Oh, I see. Hi, Iroh. Good luck with your test. Uh, Ashmore says, Harry's longing for Ginny. And yes, indeed. Uh, Harry has been sort of pining. He knows, of course, that he has made a decision here. It's a decision that he believes is a good one, which is to sort of distance himself from the people that he loves so that Voldemort can't use them against him. Because Voldemort has done this in the past. This is not out of the question for Voldemort, using loved ones against a person that he's trying to get at. Harry is hoping that by, by that in doing so, he will keep Ginny safe. But Ginny, of course, is... Ron discloses that Ginny was privately devastated by this, even though she understood what the problem was. Um, thanks, Tuna. <laughs> I appreciate it. The birthday bits. And Mama Porkchop is here. Hello. I didn't even see that you joined. I just see people saying hi to you. Mama Porkchop and the, and the bacon bits. Can't remember the person that they said was dead. Um, that's a good question, Heart Hook. Uh, I don't either. You know what? This seems like maybe as good a time as any to have my PDF open, doesn't it? So that I can actually look at the text and stuff. I guess. I suppose it'll come in handy at some point. Chapter eight, the wedding, and chapter nine, a place to hide. So chapter eight, the wedding. Um, the uh, oh duh yeah. <laughs> Toads Med. Yes, the minister indeed. Yes, Tuna Sunday and uh, Toads. It is the minister of magic. Um, we go through this entire wedding. Let me let me go top to bottom here. Uh, Harry's disguised. All sorts of people showing up. Victor Crumb is there. Kind of a surprise. Ron's a little jealous that, you know, Hermione seems excited to see him. Um, Xenophilius Lovegood, this is Luna's father, is there. Luna is, uh, I believe they're both wearing bright yellow. Um... Seems like, apparently, they believe you should wear sunshine colors to a wedding. Uh, but Xenophilius Lovegood seems to be, well, frankly, where Luna got it from. Whatever that means to you. Um, and also, Victor Crumb expresses some real frustration with Xenophilius Lovegood. Says that I would duel him if he weren't a guest here. Because Xenophilius Lovegood is wearing this symbol. It's, got, it's a triangle and inside the triangle is a circle and a line. It's very strange. But Victor Crumb says this was the sign of Grindelwald. Grindelwald being a notable dark wizard um, that, uh, that Dumbledore actually defeated back in the day. It's very strange that Xenophilius Lovegood, who has shown no sort of predilection toward dark magic, would be wearing something like this. And yet, there it is. But uh, Victor Crumb's family seems to have suffered at the hands of Grindelwald's regime, and as such, he uh, he's harboring some real resentment toward um, 
Xenophilius Lovegood right now. The wedding is beautiful. Goes off seemingly without a hitch until toward the very end. After Harry has had a long conversation in which um, he hears two sides about Dumbledore. One from Elphias Doge, who was a friend of Dumbledore's and has basically only good things to say about Dumbledore. And then there is the Weasley's aunt Muriel, who is just, we'll call her frustrating um, in general. And although uh, she seems to be getting all of her information from Rita Skeeter, who we know to be a fairly unreliable source, uh, when she says things like, the fact that Dumbledore's sister Ariana was a squib, and that's why they hid her away, not because she was sick, and that Dumbledore delved into dark magic when he was younger. Well, unfortunately, Althaeus Doge doesn't have much in the way of a rebuttal to all this. So Harry's left feeling pretty disappointed, right up until the moment where the wedding comes to an abrupt halt as Kingsley Shacklebolt's Lynx Patronus falls into the center of the wedding and proclaims these words. The ministry has fallen. Scrimgeour is dead. They are coming. Dark. How's it going, Timberwolf? Good to have you here. Um, Jess Brown, I hope... I don't think it's on my end. Yeah, anybody else? Y'all should let me know if, uh, if I'm breaking up additionally for y'all as well. Um... Let's see. Oh, I'm in the wrong chat on Discord. There we go. Y'all talking about baking? Excellent. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, the ministry has fallen. That's a that's a big line right there. That's right up there with like, execute. Well, I shouldn't say that. I suppose that's a spoiler for a totally different thing, so I won't. Um, and then chapter nine, a place to hide. What do we see in that? Um, uh, Equine adds that, yeah, Grindelwald killed Crumb's grandfather. Yeah, so Crumb has, has suffered at the at the hands of, you know, Grindelwald's rule. So he's got, he harbors no love uh, for, you know, Grindelwald or anyone associated with him in spite of coming from a similar place. Just goes to show people can be more complicated than that. <laughs> uh, Teen Bean says, my daughter does bright colors for funerals. She sees them as a celebration of that person's life and the happiness that they brought to our lives. Jesse Longbottom says that when you said that, I thought the ministry has fallen and it can't get up. Yeah, it needs life alert. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tuna, exactly. Good luck. Hold on to it while you can. Um, that's all right, Repulse. I'll see you later. See you when you can. Spoilers from 2005. <laughs> hey, I try. I try to keep it. I try to keep it on the down low. I try to keep it on the down low. Anyway, chapter nine, A Place to Hide. As in the the seconds, literally seconds uh, after um, uh, Kingsley Shacklebolt's Patronus arrives at the wedding, Hermione snaps into action. Uh, she and Harry grab hands to stay together, and they start to look for Ron, who is somewhere off elsewhere in the wedding. They find Ron, and immediately they disappear. Hermione has apparated them to somewhere else. It's a little fuzzy. It's hard to tell at first. It appears to be... Um, um, let's see, was it Kensington Cross? What is it? Tottenham Court. I don't know where I got, where did I get what I just said from? I don't even remember what it was now. Um, Tottenham Court Road. Apparently somewhere where she was with her family at some point, but just a place to disappear to, a first instinct. They had got out of there so very quickly 
They didn't even have time to see what became of Ron's family, all the other guests there. It seems that Hermione has been planning for something like this for a long time. In her little bag, in which she has put a um, an enlarging charm, an imperceptible enlarging charm. I don't remember precisely what the word was, but um, basically, she's got this tiny little beaded bag that can fit a lot, a lot more than it looks like. She's got a whole bunch of books in there. She's got, um, it appears to be um, some clothes for Harry and his duffel bag and some clothes for Ron. They realize after a moment, you know what, we should get changed and we should find a spot to just hole up for a second. It doesn't seem like Grimald Place is a good idea. We can't go back to the wedding. It seems like everywhere else is being watched. And if the protections on the borough have been broken, what happens next? Yeah, Ashmore, Hermione's already got everything packed. She's been ready for this for a while. Um, and who said it? Hold on. Things get heated. Where is it? Where is it? Somebody said it. Yep, Timberwolf. Things get heated in the cafe, indeed. So they decide they're going to hole up in a cafe for a second, uh, for which I used... Um, this is actually uh, a very... Well, this is the original for one of uh, Mama Cass's favorite pieces of art. Oh, boy. Am I going to be able to find it? Probably not. Let's see. Maybe here? Nailed it. Um, yeah, this is called Nighthawks by Edward Hopper, and this is actually a sketch that he did before he finished the piece. But this is a pretty famous piece of art here um, in uh, more modern artwork. I am much more literarily minded. I do not have the... Uh, um, I, I do not have the visual art acumen of uh, some of the rest of y'all. So if I use improper terms or or something like that, you'll have to forgive me. Um, but uh, in this cafe, they discuss their next options. They're quickly interrupted. It appears that there are Death Eaters here, and as such, they need to move quickly. Uh, they have, well, a, a little skirmish with these Death Eaters and managed to properly stun them. Harry considers, should they be killed? They're going to come back after Harry if they don't, or if they aren't, but he decides, nope. And he justifies it saying, you know, it'll look more suspicious and it'll sort of give them a lead as to where we were and where we headed next. As I talk, I'm going to try and fix this because I'm not, I'm a little zoomed out, aren't I? Um, and uh, with that, I think uh, they decide, you know what, it might be best to head to Grimald Place. In spite of the fact that it seems like it might be more dangerous, in spite of the fact that it seems like, well... Uh, if the if the uh, if the Death Eaters are able to have a trace on Harry, even though he is supposed to be clear of that, being that he is now of age as a wizard, uh, what happens? Is there anywhere to go that's safe? And we shall be finding out soon. All right, folks. With that, I think we have got our we have finished up with our review, and I think we're ready to go. Miss Frizzle, thanks for the reminder. Let's go. As Lone Star says, let's go. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe that'll be our new. For anybody who subscribes today, maybe that'll be the new. <laughs> that'll be the new um, Storytime MC tagline. Because we're we're gonna go with a different one every time. We gotta do lots of testing before we find one that we like here. Okay, folks. As usual, if you've got anything you would like to discuss, go ahead and put it in chat. I would love to talk about it. I'm gonna try and hit some good chatter breaks here. I'm gonna give it a shot. I'm gonna do my best.
folks. Thank you very much for being with me here today. I'm looking forward to reading to you. Let's do this. Chapter 10. Creature's Tale. Harry woke early next morning, wrapped in a sleeping bag on the drawing room floor. A chink of sky was visible between the heavy curtains. It was the cool, clear blue of watered ink, somewhere between night and dawn. And everything was quiet, except for Ron and Hermione's slow, deep breathing. Harry glanced over the dark shapes that they made on the floor beside him. Ron had had a fit of gallantry and insisted Hermione sleep on the cushions from the sofa, so that her silhouette was raised above his. Her arm curved to the floor, her fingers inches from Ron's. Harry wondered whether they had fallen asleep holding hands. The idea made him feel strangely lonely. He looked up at the shadowy ceiling, the cobwebbed chandelier, less than twenty-four hours ago. He had been standing in the sunlight at the entrance to the marquee, waiting to show in wedding guests. It seemed a lifetime away. What was going to happen now? He lay on the floor and thought of the Horcruxes, of the daunting, complex mission Dumbledore had left him. Dumbledore. The grief that had possessed him since Dumbledore's death felt different now. The accusations he had heard from Muriel at the wedding seemed to have nested in his brain like diseased things, infecting his memory of the wizard he had idolized. Could Dumbledore have let such things happen? Had he been like Dudley, content to watch neglect and abuse as long as it did not affect him? Could he have turned his back on a sister who was being imprisoned and hidden? Harry thought of Godric's Hollow, of graves Dumbledore had never mentioned there. He thought of the mysterious objects left without explanation in Dumbledore's will, and resentment swelled in the darkness. Why hadn't Dumbledore told him? Why hadn't he explained? Had Dumbledore actually cared about Harry at all, or had Harry been nothing more than a tool to be polished and honed, but not trusted, never confided in? Harry could not stand lying there with nothing but bitter thoughts for company, desperate for something to do, but... Oops. Desperate for something to do, for distraction. He slipped out of his sleeping bag, picked up his wand, and crept out of the room. On the landing, he whispered, Lomos, and started to climb the stairs by wand light. On the second landing was the bedroom in which he and Ron had slept the last time they had been there. He glanced into it. The wardrobe doors stood open and the bedclothes had been ripped back. Harry remembered the overturned troll leg downstairs. Somebody had searched the house since the order had left. Snape? Or perhaps Mundungus, who had pilfered plenty from this house both before and after Sirius died. Harry's gaze wandered to the portrait that sometimes contained Phineas Nigellus Black, Sirius' his great-great-grandfather, but it was empty, showing nothing but a stretch of muddy backdrop. 
Phineas Nigellus was evidently spending the night in the headmaster's study at Hogwarts. Harry continued up the stairs until he reached the topmost landing, where there were only two doors. The one facing him bore a nameplate reading Sirius. Harry had never entered his godfather's bedroom before. He pushed open the door, holding his wand high to cast light as widely as possible. The room was spacious, and must once have been handsome. There was a large bed with a curved wooden headboard, a tall window obscured by long velvet curtains, and a chandelier thickly coated in dust, with candle stubs still resting in the sockets, solid wax hanging in frost-like drips. A fine film of dust covered the pictures on the walls and the bed's headboard. A spider's web stretched between the chandelier and the top of the large wooden wardrobe, and as Harry moved deeper into the room, he heard a scurrying of disturbed mice. I don't believe that's the plural for scurrying. I don't believe it was intended as the plural for scurrying, but it would be great if it was, though, wouldn't it? A herd of cows and a scurrying of mice. The teenage Sirius had plastered the walls with so many posters and pictures that little of the wall's silver-gray silk was visible. Harry could only imagine that Sirius's parents had been unable to remove the permanent sticking charm that kept them to the wall, because he was sure they would not have appreciated their eldest son's taste in decoration. Sirius seemed to have gone out of his way to annoy his parents. There were several large Gryffindor banners, faded scarlet and gold, just to underline his difference from all the rest of the Slytherin family. There were many pictures of muggle motorcycles, and also, Harry had to admire Sirius's nerve, several posters of bikini-clad muggle girls. Harry could tell they were muggles because they remained quite stationary within their pictures. Smiles faded and glazed eyes frozen on the wallpaper. This was in contrast to the only wizarding photograph on the walls, which was a picture of four Hogwarts students standing arm in arm, laughing at the camera. With a leap of pleasure, Harry recognized his father. His untidy black hair stuck up at the back like Harry's, and he too wore glasses. Beside him was Sirius, carelessly handsome, his slightly arrogant face so much younger and happier than Harry had ever seen it alive. To Sirius's right stood Pettigrew, more than a head shorter, plump and watery-eyed, flushed with pleasure at his inclusion in this coolest of gangs, with the much-admired rebels that James and Sirius had been. On James's left was Lupin. Even then, looking a little shabby, but he had the same air of delighted surprise at finding himself liked and included. Or was it simply because Harry knew how it had been that he saw these things in the picture? He tried to take it from the wall. It was his now, after all. Sirius had left him everything. But it would not budge. Sirius had taken no chances in preventing his parents from redecorating his room. Harry looked around at the floor. The sky outside was growing brighter. A shaft of light revealed bits of paper, books, and small objects scattered over the carpet. 
Evidently, Sirius's bedroom had been searched too, although its contents seemed to have been judged mostly, if not entirely, worthless. A few of the books had been shaken roughly enough to part company with their covers, and sundry pages littered the floor. Harry bent down, picked up a few pieces of paper, and examined them. He recognized one as a part of an old edition of A History of Magic by Batilde Bagshot, and another as belonging to a motorcycle maintenance manual. The third was handwritten and crumpled. He smoothed it out. <sighs> Dear Padfoot, Thank you. Thank you for Harry's birthday present. It was his favorite by far. One year old and already zooming along on a toy broomstick, he looked so pleased with himself. I'm enclosing a picture so you can see. You know it only rises about two feet off the ground, but he nearly killed the cat and he smashed a horrible vase Petunia sent me for Christmas. No complaints there. Of course, James thought it was so funny. He says he's going to be a great Quidditch player. But we've had to pack away all the ornaments to make sure that we don't take our eyes off him. Oh, and to make sure that we don't take our eyes off of him when he gets going. We had a very quiet birthday tea. Just us and old Batilda, who has always been so sweet to us, and who dotes on Harry. We were so sorry you couldn't come, but the order's got to come first, and Harry's not old enough to know it's his birthday anyway. James is getting a bit frustrated. Shut up here. He tries not to show it, but I can tell. Also, Dumbledore's got his invisibility cloak still, so no chance of little excursions. If you could visit, it would cheer him up so much. Wormy was here last weekend. I thought he seemed down, but it was probably the news about the McKinnons. I cried all evening when I heard. Matilda drops in most days. She's a fascinating old thing with the most amazing stories about Dumbledore. I'm not sure if he'd be pleased if he knew. I don't know how much to believe, actually, because it seems incredible that Dumbledore... Harry's extremities seemed to have gone numb. He stood quite still. holding the miraculous paper in his nerveless fingers while inside of him. A kind of quiet eruption sent joy and grief thundering in equal measure through his veins. Lurching to the bed, he sat down. I'm sorry, folks. There's something missing here. So I'm going to go ahead and fix that super quick. There we go. He read the letter again, but could not take in any more meaning. Sorry, folks. Hold on a sec. Okay. 
I'm going to go back up a little bit. Harry's extremities seemed to have gone numb. He stood quite still, holding the miraculous paper in his nerveless fingers, while inside him a kind of quiet eruption sent joy and grief thundering in equal measure through his veins. Lurching to the bed, he sat down. He read the letter again, but could not take in any more meaning than he had done the first time, and was reduced to staring at the handwriting itself. She made her G's the same way he did. He searched through every... He searched through the letter for every one of them, and felt like a friendly little gesture glimpsed from behind the veil. The letter was an incredible treasure, proof that... Lily Potter had lived, really lived, that her warm hand had once moved across this parchment, tracing ink into these letters, these words, words about him, Harry, her son. Impatiently brushing away the wetness in his eyes, he reread the letter, this time concentrating on the meaning. It was like listening to a half-remembered voice. They had had a cat. Perhaps it had perished, like his parents, at Godric's Hollow. Or else fled when there was nobody left to feed it. Sirius had bought him his first broomstick. His parents had known Batilda Bagshot. Had Dumbledore introduced them? Dumbledore still got his invisibility cloak. There was something funny there. Harry paused, pondering his mother's words. Why had Dumbledore taken James's invisibility cloak? Harry distinctly remembered his headmaster telling him years before, I don't need a cloak to become invisible. Perhaps some less gifted order member had needed its assistance, and Dumbledore had acted as a carrier? Harry passed on. Wormy was here. Pettigrew, the traitor, had seemed down, had he? Was he aware he was seeing James and Lily alive for the last time? And finally, Batilda again, who told incredible stories about Dumbledore. It seems incredible that Dumbledore... That Dumbledore what? But there were any number of things that would have seemed incredible about Dumbledore. That he had once received bottom marks in a transfiguration test, for instance. Or that he had taken up goat charming like Aberforth. Harry got to his feet and scanned the floor. Perhaps the rest of the letter was here somewhere? He seized papers, treating them in his eagerness with as little consideration as the original searcher. He pulled open drawers, shook out books, stood on a chair to run his hand over the top of the wardrobe, and crawled under the bed and armchair. At last, lying face down on the floor, he spotted what looked like a torn piece of paper under the chest of drawers. When he pulled it out, it proved to be most of the photograph Lily had described in her letter. A black-haired baby was zooming in and out of the picture on a tiny broom, roaring with laughter, and a pair of legs that must have belonged to James was chasing after him. Harry tucked the photograph into his pocket with Lily's letter and continued to look for the second sheet. Had a break. 
and we're back to the library. Okay, folks, I want to see what you've been talking about. I don't get a chance to look at chat very much, and I, I miss it, frankly. <laughs> uh, Liberty, talking about, I don't think the Marauder's Map is powerful enough to reveal a Horcrux. His soul was trapped in the diary, and it wasn't visible on there. Oh, that's an interesting question. Who asked? Who's asking about that? Stud? Stud, that's a very interesting question. Hmm. Yeah, like, because it contains a part of you. It, it makes you wonder, then, what is it that the the Marauder's Map tracks specifically? I mean, I don't, I don't know that the original creators, shall we say, uh, would have been adept enough at magic at that phase to to do that. But I mean, they have. I mean, there it was an accomplishment, the thing that they did. So, you know, clearly they weren't hacks. They were paying some attention. It was probably mostly Lupin, huh? <laughs> Ashmore says, I think it was just the bodies. Probably. Um. All right. Yeah. So we find Harry now. Um, in the midst of a big personal crisis. And I think we uh, we can talk a little bit about this. Jesse, thank you. Um, we can talk a little bit about this in terms of the hero's journey. Some of you might be familiar with this idea, but um, there is a portion of the hero's journey at which Harry is at his lowest low. Um, now, I don't think Harry's there. He's got a safe place to hang out. He's got, uh, you know, some, some new information about his family. But um, certainly he is not at the place that he once was, right? This is, we compare this to a lot of times in Harry's life. And he has been, he's been worse off before in some ways and then never worse off in other ways, right? He has been much lonelier than he is now. Right now he's got Harry and Hermione, although he's getting pangs of that right now. Um, as they seem to have gotten closer to each other while he has to maintain sort of a a certain amount of distance. Although I will say, just in terms of Sam's kind of personal philosophy about things, I think there is, uh, I think friendship and romantic relationships can be equally close. I don't think, I don't think it's like friendship is here and you can get that much further with a romantic relationship. I think they're distinct things, they've got distinct qualities, but neither is greater than the other. Holly Rose says, I'm wondering if Sirius got a real beating from his parents when they discovered his unremovable room decor. I, yeah, I do wonder kind of what life was like for Sirius, and I think we can maybe try to draw some parallels here between Sirius and Harry. He also, and we're not talking about his domestic, excuse me, we're not talking about his biological family, Harry, um, although it is partially biological, but I guess we should say his nuclear family. We're not talking about the Dursleys, Right? Uh, or excuse me, oh good lord, we're not talking about <laughs> Lily and James Potter, we are talking about the Dursleys. There is something that is separating Sirius and his family in a similar way to how Harry is separated from the Dursleys. They are at odds. They believe in things that are sort of mutually exclusive from one another. Um, the Dursleys sort of believe in being calm and quiet and uh, mundane, frankly, which is a funny word because it sort of, it means non-magical um, in some senses, and they accomplish that very well, and then Harry comes along, and here he's got his magic. There's no way they're going to get along. Meanwhile, it seems that uh, Sirius is proud of different things in his family, and when pride in your bloodline is such an important part of what it means to be a member of the black family. 
of course, Sirius is going to be on the outside. It seems he stood up a little higher to his parents, though, and I wonder if that's the phase that Harry would have gotten with the Dursleys. Sparkle Lovegood says, maybe that's what gave Mrs. Black the thought to permanently attach her own portrait. Oh, I like that thought, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to say... I want to say that we're like one generation removed from that, but you could be quite right. You'd be quite right indeed. And Gems, yeah, I don't know. I, Gems says if you add romantic uh, to friendship, it strengthens it. I think it can, but I think that's only true of relationships where that sort of thing would strengthen. I think you can have, I think you can have um, friendships that are stronger than, uh, you could have a friendship that's stronger than a romantic relationship that you have. I think, I, I'm, I very strongly believe that, you know, uh, romance and friendship are distinct things and that neither one of them is closer or stronger or greater than the other. I think they're just different. Meanwhile, what's Discord talking about? Ah, they're talking about the GIF. <laughs> it is a good one. It is a good detail. Okay, let's jump back. Let's keep going. After another quarter of an hour, however, Harry was forced to conclude that the rest of his mother's letter was gone. Had it simply been lost in the 16 years that had elapsed since it had been written? Or had it been taken by whoever had searched the room? Harry read the first sheet again, this time looking for clues as to what they might have seen on the second sheet. What might have been on the second sheet to make it valuable? His toy broomstick could hardly be considered interesting to the Death Eaters. The only potentially useful thing he could see here was possible information about Dumbledore. It seems incredible that Dumbledore... What? Harry? Harry? I'm here, he called. What's happened? There was a clatter of footsteps outside the door, and Hermione burst inside. Oh, we woke up and didn't know where you were, she said breathlessly. She turned and shouted over her shoulder. Ron! I found him! Ron's annoyed voice echoed distantly from several floors below. Good! Tell him from me that he's a git, yeah? Harry, just please don't disappear. Please, we were terrified. Why did you come up here anyway? She gazed around the ransacked room. What have you been doing? Look what I've just found. He held out his mother's letter. Hermione took it and read it while Harry watched her. When she reached the end of the page, she looked up at him. Oh, Harry. And there's this, too. He handed her the torn photograph, and Hermione smiled at the baby zooming in and out of sight on the toy broom. I've been looking for the rest of the letter, Harry said, but it's not here. Hermione glanced around. Did, did you make all this mess, or was it, was it here when you got here? Someone had searched it before me. I thought so. 
every room that I'd looked into on the way up has been disturbed. What were they after you, do you think? What were they after, do you think? Information on the order, if it was Snape. But you'd think that he'd already have all he needed. I mean, he was in the order, wasn't he? Well, then, said Harry, keen to discuss his theory, what about information on Dumbledore? The second page of this letter, for instance. You know this Batilda my mum mentions? Do you know who she is? Who? Batilda Bagshot, the author of A History of Magic, said Hermione, looking interested. So your parents knew her? She was an incredible magical historian. And she's still alive, said Harry. And she lives in Godric's Hollow. Ron's Auntie Muriel was talking about her at the wedding. She knew Dumbledore's family, too. She'd be pretty interesting to talk to, wouldn't she? There was a little too much understanding in the smile Hermione gave him for Harry's liking. He took back the letter and the photograph and tucked them inside the pouch around his neck, so as not to have to look at her and give himself away. I understand why you would love to talk to her about your mum and dad, and Dumbledore too, said Hermione. But that wouldn't actually help us in our search for the Horcruxes, would it? Harry did not answer, and she rushed on. Harry, I know that you really want to go to Godric's Hollow, but I'm scared. I'm scared at how easily those Death Eaters found us yesterday. It just makes me feel more than ever that we ought to avoid the place where your parents are buried. I'm sure they'd be expecting you to visit it. It's not just about that, said Harry, still avoiding looking at her. Muriel said stuff about Dumbledore at the wedding. I want to know the truth. He told Hermione everything that Muriel had told him. When he had finished, Hermione said, Of course I can see why that's upset you, Harry. I'm not upset, he lied. I would just like to know whether or not it's true or... Harry, do you really think that you'll get the truth from a malicious old woman like Muriel? Or from Rita Skeeter? How can you believe them? You knew Dumbledore. I thought I did, he muttered. But you know how much truth there was in everything that Rita wrote about you. Doge is right. How can you let these people tarnish your memories of Dumbledore? He looked away, trying not to betray the resentment he felt. There it was again. Choose what to believe. He wanted the truth. Why was everyone so determined he should not get it? Shall we go down to the kitchen? Hermione suggested after a little pause. Find something for breakfast? He agreed, but grudgingly, and followed her out onto the landing and past the second door that led off it. There were deep scratch marks in the paintwork below a small sign that he had not noticed in the dark. He paused at the top of the stairs to read it. It was a pompous little sign neatly lettered by hand, the sort of thing that Percy Weasley might have stuck on his bedroom door. Do not enter without the express permission of Regulus Arcturus Black. Excitement trickled through Harry, but he was not immediately sure why. He read the sign again. Hermione was already a flight of stairs below him. 
Hermione, he said. And by the way, Harthook, we are at the very top of page 186. 186. Hermione, he said, and he was surprised that his voice was so calm. Come back up here. What's the matter? R.A.B. I think I've found him. There was a gasp, and then Hermione ran back up the stairs. In your mum's letter, but I didn't see... Her Harry shook his head, pointing at Regulus's sign. She read it, and then clutched Harry's arm so tightly that he winced. Sirius's brother, she whispered. He was a Death Eater, said Harry. Sirius told me about him. He joined up when he was really young and then got cold feet and tried to leave. So they killed him. That fits, gasped Hermione. If he was a Death Eater, he had access to Voldemort. And if he became disenchanted, he would have wanted to bring Voldemort down. She released Harry, leaning over the banister and screaming, Ron! Ron, get up here! Quick! Ron appeared, panting a minute later, his wand ready in his hand. What's up? If it's, if it's massive spiders again, I want breakfast before I... He frowned at the sign on Regulus's door, to which Hermione was silently pointing. What? That was Sirius's brother, wasn't it? Regulus Arcturus Reg... Reg... R-A-B! Oh, the lucky... You don't reckon? Let's find out, said Harry. He pushed open the door. It was locked. Hermione pointed her wand at the handle and said, Lamahora! There was a click, and the door swung open. They moved over the threshold together, gazing around. Regulus's bedroom was slightly smaller than Sirius's, though it had the same sense of former grandeur. Whereas Sirius had sought to advertise his difference from the rest of the family, Regulus had striven to emphasize the opposite. The Slytherin colors of emerald and silver were everywhere, draping the bed, the walls, and the windows. The black family crest was painstakingly painted over the bed, along with its motto, Du jour pur. Beneath this was a collection of yellow newspaper clippings, all stuck together to make a ragged collage. Hermione crossed the room to investigate them. They're all about Voldemort, she said. Regulus seems to have been a fan for a few years before he joined the Death Eaters. A little puff of dust rose from the bed covers as she sat down to read the clippings. Harry, meanwhile, had noticed another photograph. A Hogwarts Quidditch team was smiling and waving out of the frame. He moved closer and saw the snakes emblazoned on their chests. Slytherins. Regulus was instantly recognizable as the boy sitting in the middle of the front row. He had the same dark hair and slightly haughty look of his brother, though he was smaller, slighter and less handsome than Sirius had been. He played Seeker, said Harry. What? said Hermione vaguely. She was still immersed in Voldemort's press clippings. He's sitting in the middle of the front row, 
That's where the secret... Never mind, said Harry, realizing that nobody was listening. Ron was on his hands and knees, looking under the wardrobe. Harry looked around the room for likely hiding places and approached the desk. Yet again, somebody had searched before them. The drawer's contents had been turned over recently. The dust disturbed. But there was nothing of value there. Old quills, out-of-date textbooks that bore evidence of being roughly handled. A recently smashed ink bottle, its sticky residue covering the contents of the drawer. And it looks like uh, Liberty has pulled a translation. Let me go ahead and put that. I want to put the, the spelling that it has in here. That's what uh, that's what they gave us. But I like I like the attitude. I don't know if I, either you got this off the top of your head, poet, uh, or sorry, Liberty, or uh, you went and looked it up. And I want to encourage you all to do that. It's a good idea. When you don't understand something, look it up. Best way to understand literature. Okay. There's an easier way, said Hermione as Harry wiped his inky fingers on his jeans. She raised her wand and said, Accio, lock it. Nothing happened. Ron, who had been searching in the folds of the faded curtains, looked disappointed. Is that it, then? It's not here. Oh, it could still be here, but under counter-enchantments, said Hermione. Charms to prevent it from being magically summoned, you know? Like Voldemort put on the stone basin in the cave, said Harry, remembering how he had been unable to summon the fake locket. How were we supposed to find it, then? asked Ron. We search manually, said Hermione. Oh, that's a good idea, said Ron, rolling his eyes, and he resumed his examination of the curtains. They combed every inch of the room for more than an hour, but were forced finally to conclude that the locket was not there. The sun had risen now. Its light dazzled them even through the grimy landing windows. It could be somewhere else in the house, though said Hermione in a rallying tone as they walked back downstairs. As Harry and Ron had become more discouraged, she seemed to have become more determined. Whether he'd managed to destroy it or not, he'd want to keep it hidden from Voldemort, wouldn't he? Remember all those awful things that we had to get rid of when we were here last time? That clock that shot bolts at everyone, those old robes that tried to strangle Ron, Regulus might have put them there to protect the locket's hiding place, even though we didn't realise it at, at, at the... Harry and Ron looked at her. She was standing with one foot in midair, with the dumbstruck look of one who had just been obliviated. Her eyes had even drifted out of focus. At the time, she finished in a whisper. Is there something wrong? asked Ron. There was a locket. What? said Harry and Ron together. In the cabinet, in the drawing room. Nobody could open it, and we... we... Harry felt as though a brick 
had slid down through his chest into his stomach. He remembered. He had even handled the thing as they passed it around, each trying to turn it and prize it open. They had been tossed. It had been tossed into a sack of rubbish, along with snuff boxes of wart cap powder and the music box that had made everyone sleepy. Creature nicked loads of things back then from us, said Harry. It was the only chance, the only slender hope left to them. And he was going to cling to it until forced to let go. He had a whole stash of stuff in his cupboard in the kitchen. Come on. He ran down the stairs, taking two steps at a time, the other two thundering along in his wake. They made so much noise that they woke the portrait of Sirius's mother as they passed through the hall. Filth, mudbloods, scum! She screamed at them as they dashed down to the basement kitchen and slammed the door behind them. Have a good night, Timberwolf. See you later. Harry ran the length of the kitchen, skidded to a halt at the door of Creature's cupboard, and wrenched it open. There was the nest of dirty old blankets in which the house elf had once slept. But they were no longer glittering with trinkets Creature had salvaged. The only thing there was an old copy of Nature's Nobility, a wizarding genealogy. Refusing to believe his eyes, Harry snatched up the blankets and shook them. A dead mouse fell out and rolled dismally across the floor. Ron groaned as he threw himself into a kitchen chair. Hermione closed her eyes. It's not over yet, said Harry, and he raised his voice and called, Creature! There was a loud crack, and the house elf that Harry had so reluctantly inherited from Sirius appeared out of nowhere, in front of the cold and empty fireplace. Tiny, half-human-sized, his pale skin hanging off him in folds, white hair sprouting copiously from his bat-like ears. He was still wearing the filthy rag that he had worn when they first met him, and the contemptuous look he bent upon Harry showed him that his attitude toward his master, um, his attitude to the change of ownership had altered no more than his outfit. Master croaked Creature in his bullfrog's voice, and he bowed low, muttering to his knees. Back in my mistress's old house with the blood traitor Weasley and the mud blood. I forbid you to call anyone blood traitor or mud blood, growled Harry. You would have found Creature, with his snout-like nose and bloodshot eyes, a distinctly unlovable object even if the elf had not betrayed the serious to Voldemort. I've got a question for you, said Harry, his heart beating rather fast as he looked down at the elf. And I order you to answer it truthfully. Do you understand? Yes, master, said Creature, bowing low again. Harry saw his lips move soundlessly, undoubtedly framing the insults he was now forbidden to utter. Two years ago, said Harry, his heart now hammering against his ribs, there was a big gold locket in the drawing room upstairs. We threw it out. Did you steal it back? There was a moment's silence, during which Creature straightened up to look Harry full in the face. 
And he said, Yes. Where is it now? Harry asked jubilantly as Ron and Hermione looked gleeful. Creature closed his eyes as though he could not bear their reactions to his next word. Gone. Gone? echoed Harry, elation flooding out of him. What do you mean it's gone? The elf shivered. He swayed. Creature, said Harry fiercely, I order you to... Mundungus Fletcher, croaked the elf, his eyes still tight shut. Mundungus Fletcher stole it all. Miss Bellas had Miss Sissy's pictures, my mistress's gloves, the Order of Merlin, first class, the goblets with the family crest, and... and... The creature was gulping for air. His hollow chest was rising and falling rapidly. Then his eyes flew open and he uttered a blood-curdling scream. And the locket! Master Regulus's locket creature did wrong. Creature failed in his orders. Harry reacted instinctively. As Creature lunged for the poker standing inside the grate, he launched himself upon the elf, flattening him. Hermione's scream mingled with Creature's, but Harry bellowed louder than both of them. Creature, I order you to stay still! He felt the elf freeze and released him. Creature lay flat on the stone gold floor, tears gushing from his sagging eyes. Harry, let, let him up, Hermione whispered. So that he can beat himself with the poker, snorted Harry, kneeling beside the elf. I don't think so. Right, creature, I want the truth. How do you know Mundungus Fletcher stole the locket? Creature saw him, gasped the elf as tears poured over his snout and into his mouth full of graying teeth. Creature saw him coming out of Creature's cupboard with his hands full of Creature's treasures. Creature told the sneak thief to stop, but Mundungus Fletcher laughed and ran. You called the locket Master Regulus's, said Harry. Why? Where did it come from? What did Regulus have to do with it? Creature, sit up and tell me everything that you know about that locket, and everything Regulus had to do with it. The elf sat up, curled into a ball, placed his wet face between his knees and began to rock backward and forward. When he spoke, his voice was muffled, but quite distinct in the silent, echoing kitchen. Master Sirius ran away. Good riddance, for he was a bad boy, and broke my mistress's heart with his lawless ways. But Master Regulus had proper pride. He knew what was due to the name of Black and the dignity of his pure blood. For years he talked of the Dark Lord, who was going to bring the wizards out of hiding and rule the muggles and the muggle-borns. And when he was sixteen years old, Master Regulus joined the Dark Lord. So proud, so proud, so happy to serve. And one day, a year after he had joined, Master Regulus came down to the kitchen to see Creature. 
Master Regulus always liked creature, and Master Regulus said, He said, The old elf rocked faster than ever. He said that the Dark Lord required an elf. Voldemort needed an elf, Harry repeated, looking around at Ron and Hermione, who looked just as puzzled as he did. Oh, yes, moaned Creature, and Master Regulus had volunteered Creature. It was an honor, said Master Regulus, an honor for him and for Creature, who must be sure to do whatever the Dark Lord ordered him to do. And then to come home. Creature rocked still faster, his breath coming in sobs. So Creature went to the Dark Lord. The Dark Lord did not tell Creature what they were to do, but took Creature with him to a cave beside the sea. And beyond the cave there was a cavern, and in the cavern was a great black lake. The hairs on the back of Harry's neck stood up. Creature's croaking voice seemed to come to him from across the dark water. He saw what had happened as clearly as though he had been present. There was a boat. Of course there had been a boat. Harry knew the boat, ghostly green and tiny, bewitched so as to carry one wizard and one victim toward the island in the center. This, then, was how Voldemort had tested the defenses surrounding the Horcruxes, by borrowing a disposable creature, a house elf. There was a basin full of potion on the island. The dark lord made creature drink it. The elf quaked from head to foot. Creature drank, and as he drank he saw terrible things. Creature's insides burned. Creature cried for Master Regulus to save him. He cried for his mistress Black, but the Dark Lord only laughed. He made Creature drink all the potion. He dropped a locket in the empty basin. He filled it with more potion. And then the Dark Lord sailed away, leaving Creature on the island. Harry could see it happening. He watched Voldemort's pale, snake-like face vanishing into the darkness. Those red eyes fixed pitilessly on the thrashing elf whose death would occur within minutes. Whenever he succumbed to the desperate thirst that the burning potion caused its victim. But here Harry's imagination could go no further, for he could not see how Creature had escaped. Creature needed water. He crawled to the island's edge, and he drank from the black lake. And hands, dead hands, came out of the water and dragged Creature under the surface. 
How did you get away? Harry asked, and he was not surprised to hear himself whispering. Creature raised his ugly head and looked at Harry with his great bloodshot eyes. Master Regulus told Creature to come back, he said. I know, but how did you escape the Inferi? Creature did not seem to understand. Master Regulus told Creature to come back, he repeated. I know, but... Well, it, it's obvious, isn't it, Harry? said Ron. He disapparated. But you couldn't apparate in and out of that cave, said Dumbledore. Nope, let's try that again, said Harry. Otherwise, Dumbledore... Elf magic isn't like wizard's magic, is it? said Ron. I mean, they can apparate and disapparate in and out of Hogwarts when we can't. There was a silence as Harry digested this. How could Voldemort have made such a mistake? But even as he thought this, Hermione spoke, and her voice was icy. Of course, Voldemort wouldn't have considered the ways of house elves worthy of notice, just like all the purebloods who treat them like animals. It would never have occurred to him that they might have magic that he didn't. The house elves' highest law is his master's bidding, intoned Creature. Creature was told to come home, so Creature came home. Well, then, you did what you were told, didn't you? said Hermione kindly. You didn't disobey orders after all. Creature shook his head, rocking as fast as ever. So what happened when you got back? Harry asked. What did Regulus say when you told him what had happened? Master Regulus was very worried. Very worried, croaked Creature. Master Regulus told Creature to stay hidden. And not to leave. I scrolled too far. And not to leave the house. And then... It was a little while longer. Master Regulus came home to find Creature in his cupboard one night. And Master Regulus was strange. Not as he usually was disturbed in his mind. Creature could tell. And he asked Creature to take him to the cave. The cave where Creature had gone with the Dark Lord. And so they had set off. Harry could visualize them quite clearly, the frightened old elf and the thin, dark seeker, who had so resembled Sirius. Creature knew how to open the concealed entrance to the underground cave, knew how to raise the tiny boat. This time it was his beloved Regulus who sailed with him to the island with its basin of poison. And he made you drink the potion said Harry, disgusted. But Creature shook his head and wept. Hermione's hands leapt to her mouth. She seemed to have understood something. 
Master Regulus took from his pocket a locket like the one the Dark Lord had, said Creature, tears pouring down either side of his snout-like nose. He told Creature to take it, and when the basin was empty, to switch the lockets. Creature's sobs now came in great rasps. Harry had to concentrate hard to understand him. And he ordered Creature to leave without him. And he told Creature to go home and never to tell my mistress what he had done, but to destroy the first locket. And he drank all the potion. And Creature swapped the lockets and watched as Master Regulus was dragged beneath the water, and... Oh, Creature, wailed Hermione, who was crying. She dropped to her knees beside the elf and tried to hug him. At once he was on his feet, cringing away from her, quite obviously repelled. The mud blood touched Creature. He will not allow it. What would his mistress say? I told you not to call her Mudblood, snarled Harry, but the elf was already punishing himself. He fell to the ground and begged his for banged his forehead on the floor. Stop him! Stop him! Hermione cried. Oh, don't you see how sick it is? The way that they've got to obey! Creature, stop! Stop! shouted Harry. The elf lay on the floor, panting and shivering, green mucus glistening around his snout, a bruise already blooming on his pallid forehead where he had struck himself, his eyes swollen and his bloodshot eyes swimming with tears. No, oh, his eyes swollen and bloodshot and swimming in tears. Harry had never seen anything so pitiful. So you brought the lock at home, he said relentlessly, for he was determined to know the full story. And you tried to destroy it. Nothing creature did made any mark upon it, moaned the elf. Creature tried everything, everything he knew but nothing. Nothing would work. So many powerful spells upon the casing. Creature was sure the way to destroy it was to get inside it, but it would not open. Creature punished himself. He tried again. He punished himself. He tried again. Creature failed to obey orders. Creature could not destroy the locket. And his mistress was mad with grief, because Master Regulus had disappeared, and Creature could not tell her what had happened. No, because Master Regulus had forbidden him to tell any of the family what happened in the cave. creature began to sob so hard that there were no more coherent words. Tears flowed down Hermione's cheeks as she watched creature, but she did not dare touch him again. Even Ron, who was no fan of creatures, looked troubled. Harry sat back on his heels and shook his head, trying to clear it. I don't understand you, creature, he said finally. Voldemort 
tried to kill you. Regulus died to bring Voldemort down, but you were still happy to betray Sirius to Voldemort. You were happy to go to Narcissa and Bellatrix and pass information to Voldemort through them. Harry, creature doesn't think like that, said Hermione, wiping her eyes on the back of her hand. He's, he's a slave. House elves are used to bad, even brutal treatment. What Voldemort did to Creature wasn't that far out of the common way. What do wizard wars mean to an elf-like Creature? He's loyal to people who are kind to him. And Mrs. Black must have been. Regulus certainly was. So he served them willingly and parroted their beliefs. I know what you're going to say, she went on as Harry began to protest, that Regulus changed his mind. But that... he doesn't seem to have explained that to Creature, does he? And I know... why... Creature and Regulus's family were all safer if they kept to the old pure blood line. Regulus was trying to protect them all. Sirius. Sirius was horrible to Creature, Harry. And it's no good looking like that. You know that it's true. Creature has been alone for a long time. And then Sirius comes to live here and he was probably starving for a bit of affection. I'm sure Miss Sissy and Miss Bella were perfectly lovely to Creature when he turned up. So he did them a favour told them everything that they wanted to know. I've said it all along. Wizards would pay for how they would treat house elves. Well, Voldemort did. And so did Sirius. Harry had no retort. As he watched Creature sobbing on the floor, he remembered what Dumbledore had said to him, mere hours after Sirius's death. I do not think Sirius ever saw Creature as a being with feelings as acute as humans. Creature, said Harry after a while, when you feel up to it, um, please sit up. By the way, T-Jaka 2020, good to have you here. Welcome to Scooter Patrol. It was several minutes before Creature hiccuped himself into silence. Then he pushed himself up into a sitting position again, rubbing his knuckles into his eyes like a small child. Creature, I'm going to ask you something, said Harry. He glanced at Hermione for assistance. He wanted to give the order kindly, but at the same time he could not pretend it was not an order. However, his change in tone seemed to have gained her approval. She smiled encouragingly. Creature, I want you, please, to go and find Mundungus Fletcher. We need to find out where that locket, where Master Regulus's locket is. It's really important. We want to finish the work that Master Regulus started. We want to... ensure that he didn't die in vain. Creature dropped his fists and looked up at Harry. Find Mundungus Fletcher, he croaked. And bring him here to Grimald Place, said Harry. Do you think that you can do that for us? 
As Creature nodded and got to his feet, Harry had a sudden inspiration. He pulled out Hagrid's purse and took out the fake Horcrux, the substitute locket in which Regulus had placed the note to Voldemort. Creature, I'd... Uh, I'd like you... I'd like you to have this, he said, pressing the locket into the elf's hand. This belonged to Regulus, and I'm sure that he would have wanted you to have it as a token of gratitude. Thought you? Overkill, mate. Oh, said Ron as the elf took the lock, took the locket, let out a howl of shock and misery, and threw himself back onto the ground. It took them nearly an hour to calm down Creature, who was so overcome to be presented with a black family heirloom for his very own that he was too weak at the knees to stand properly. When finally he was able to totter a few steps, they all accompanied him to his cupboard, watched him tuck the locket back safely in, its, in his dirty blankets, and assured him that they would make its protection their first priority while he was away. Then he made two low bows to Harry and Ron, and even gave a funny little spasm in Hermione's direction that might have been an attempt at a respectful salute, before disapparating with the usual loud crack. And there we have it. Our first of two chapters today. Heart Hook One, thank you for the reminder. I appreciate it. Got I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do my best to keep my... What I really need is uh, a stretch notification when I'm just working at my computer, when I do re my remote work in the mornings, because that's the time when I forget to, like, stretch out my wrists and stuff. And, oh, it's, oh, it's very... It's, look, it's very stressful work. I'll just tell you right now. It's stressful, difficult stuff. <laughs> and, Joe, thank you very much. I appreciate it, y'all. Thanks for keeping me uh, keeping me healthy. I appreciate it. All right. Holly Rose says, excellent job reading for Creature so long. It's truly impressive. <laughs> yeah. It, it, see, and Lone Star, that's a good point. There is a lot of... There's a lot of character development that we don't get. Um, at, at least that explicitly or in that such... You know, that sort of... Mm, uh, that like quick of a turnaround, you know what I mean? Harry tends to learn things slowly and difficult with, with difficulty, I, and I would say like most people do, you know. Like I, I don't want to make this sound like I don't think this is an accurate representation because I think it is, but this is one of those stark moments where suddenly inspired, Harry is able to change, and I think it's based on the people around him. I've said it before. There is this obsession, I think, with with heroes, right? Um, with this idea that, and part of it is just because I think humans like to try and ascribe big things to specific people, just because it helps us remember them easier. You know, if we can, if we can sort of call the the entirety of of uh, uh, I don't know, if we can like if we can latch our, our our entire dreams of exploring space onto Armstrong, or if we can, uh, you know, if we can really look at some of these things uh, in terms of one sort of hero, it's it's easier for us to remember, to sort of latch onto, to imagine a face when we try to uh, consider some grand undertaking, but that's really not the way that it works, is it? And I think much in the way that, you know, uh, Dumbledore, Ron, Hermione, just about any of them uh, have been so important. We can see it in this moment where Hermione helps to inspire Harry to true deep change somewhere inside him. 
she's been doing it over over a long period of time, but in this moment we kind of see him suddenly switch and realize, you know what, she's right. Um, I want to emphasize that as much as possible. The 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 movement is not the hero and all the people underneath them. The movement is the combined efforts, and occasionally there will be one name that sort of gets thrust to the front in a specific moment, but don't underestimate the power of Hermione in this moment. And the empathy that she has shown all along toward house elves, toward others, um, she is a fantastic combination of very intelligent and very empathetic. I think sometimes people also make the mistake of considering those things kind of mutually exclusive, or at least sort of you get you get a lot of one or a lot of the other, sort of take your pick. We don't have to. She's a wonderful force in this moment. And lots of others, of course. Uh, Lone Star says, Harry is the average us. And I think... That's a pretty good point. Um, you know, there's this whole, and uh, I won't get too far on a tangent now, but yes, I, I do think that Harry is supposed to be, uh, you know, not Harry's not somebody who was raised in this crazy sort of magical life. He was raised under mundane circumstances, and he has to learn a lot of these things on his own. He has to learn these things and, and become these things, and he's a bit of a blank slate that we can kind of project ourselves onto, but in many ways... Um, uh, I think that is effective for what this work is trying to do. <laughs> Jem says, if Harry's slow, Ron's a snail. Oh, boy. Good luck with your homework, Joe. Uh, let's see. Kata says, uh, or excuse me, uh, boy, I can't remember. Is Cat fine? Cat <laughs> says, uh, Harry alone wouldn't have got past book one. Uh, yeah, I think quite literally. <laughs> Things would have gone pretty well south if Harry hadn't had good people around him. Uh, Lisa says, being muggle-born, uh, Hermione knew uh, about not being able to be accepted by everyone in the wizarding world. Yeah, I imagine she so. She has, she has learned a lot about that, and she has stuck it out in spite of not needing to. We know what Hermione is. Her skill set absolutely translates over into the, um, uh, the more mundane realm, right? Her, she's got some very strong muggle skills. the 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 ability to be studious and empathetic, that that could take her anywhere. And she decides, you know what, I'm going to work hard in this, in spite of the fact that you know she gets constantly berated by people like Draco Malfoy. Liberty says, it's a horrible shame SPEW and all the strong Hermione and house elf moments were cut from the movies. I agree completely. I think that was a big part of Hermione. I think, you know, Hermione often gets kind of, um, I don't know, she 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 gets sort of compressed into um, a, a less dynamic individual uh, in the books, which is odd. I don't know. It seems it seems like that that side of her is so much so it holds so much importance and as we can see it has such an impact on the story overall. All right, folks, guess what? It's time for it's time for a break. I'm going to take a break and uh, I am going to be back in five minutes. I look forward to seeing you again soon for our next chapter. We're reading chapter eleven, the bribe, not the bride as I had read it before, but the bribe. I look forward to seeing you in just a moment. And this time I'm going to remember to change my header. Hogwarts Hippie says, give us a question, Sam. Indeed. Uh, which sounds like, hey, play us out, Sam. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, what's a good question for us here? I think... Lisa Hall's reminded me to turn on the AC. I'll have to, I'm going to have to add that stretch, posture check, hydrate, and turn on your AC. Um, I think the, uh, the question that we're going to address here is, um, when you, when you read through these or listen through these and consider it sort of up to this point, uh, try not to get into spoiler territory of stuff past this, but as you consider all the progress that Harry has made, when you think about this, what groups of people do you think are most underestimated in terms of their overall contribution to the movement of uh, not just the the Order of the Phoenix, because that's kind of a specific group within the movement? Who is the most underestimated contributor toward the movement in general? And in what ways are they contributing? All right, there it is. There's your Chatterbrite question. I'll be back in five. Ah, bye bye
Hello, and welcome back. How y'all doing? As usual, folks, you can see, um, I, or I should say, as usual, if you're looking for a good spot to join up and find out more about Hogwarts, find out more about, well, mostly sidecar story stuff, go ahead and jump into the Discord. <laughs> we talk about Hogwarts, we talk about Harry Potter, and we talk about other stuff, too. We've got, um, of course, on Tuesdays, we've got... Vintage Sidecar, where we talk about uh, classic literature. By the way, I'm very much looking forward to seeing your seeing your stuff down here. Now, look, folks, I know you've got some some points stored up. I'm gonna drink at my own pace. It's a good reminder, but uh, <laughs> if you if you overdo it, I might not be able to keep up. Hold on, I gotta refill my I gotta refill here. Hold up. All right, folks. Cheers. He's to staying hydrated. We have just come off of uh, our first chapter for the night, chapter 10, and I'm going to go into a little review of that, um, but I think we'll talk about our Chatterbreak question first. Let me scroll all the way back up. I need some sort of marker in there. I need some sort of marker so I know how far to go back. Let's see. Um, all right, so the question was, who has made... Uh, up and t up to this point, not bef not beyond, the biggest contribution, uh, or not, excuse me, not the biggest contribution, but the most underestimated contribution to uh, the movement in general, the movement of trying to oppose dark wizards and uh, and uh, dark magic in general. I am definitely seeing Neville. Uh, I think uh, Luna and Neville, yeah, both of them. Um, um, I think the way that that Luna kind of tries to just sort of gently kind of, I don't know, make things, smooth things out. She's an interesting PR person uh, to choose, but has been pretty effective so far. Um, doesn't put the most, like, I don't know, it doesn't put, like, the most, um, hmm, what's the, what's the way, what's the way to say this? Uh, does not put, like, the classic, like, poster child face on it. And yet, when you think of Luna, like, you just leave a room feeling a little better after you talk to Luna. Ashmore says Lupin for sure. Uh, lots of lots of things happening behind the scenes with Lupin. Um, and actually, we're going to be learning a bit more about that. I'm looking forward to it. All right folks um let's keep going now uh we're first going to do our quick review and for anyone who's joining us late doesn't know what this is about hi my name is sam this is sidecar stories and this is a show called flying sidecar it is a voice actors venture through some books that we all love um we are currently in Deathly Hallows. We have just read chapter 10, and I'm going to give a quick review of the things that we saw so we can move on to chapter 11. And chapter 11 will be our last chapter for the night, as it typically goes. But chapter 10, Creature's Tale. We have just had a, a very long night. Um, Harry, Ron, and Hermione have had to flee the wedding of Bill and Fleur. Um, and they end up in London, Tottenham Court Road. Uh, Hermione has taken them into kind of an area of London that's going to be relatively hidden. Uh, going to try and keep pretty quiet. And they're trying to avoid any Death Eaters. Now, somehow, 
a pair manage to find them, but they're able to dispatch these Death Eaters and move out, at which point they decide, you know what, it's risky, but we're going to head to Grimwald Place. Harry wakes up the next morning and just, you know, without anyone else to talk to, because Ron and Hermione are still asleep, he walks around and kind of explores the house. Now, it appears that he is not the first person to have tried to do this. Somebody has been running around inside and, uh, well... Uh, and don't forget, chat, stay out of spoiler territory. No spoilers, or I'll come get you. Um, the uh, the these papers that Harry finds that appears, you know, somebody have someone has been um, like uh, rifling through. Someone has searched the house, and Harry's not sure what the significance is, except that perhaps um, there is information about Dumbledore because doesn't seem, you know, it seems like Snape would be able to give them plenty of information about the Order now that Snape has crossed over and is working with these dark wizards. Um, but he finds a letter from his mother. It's an impactful moment. A letter uh, and a picture of himself, a wizarding picture of himself riding a broom. And, I mean, it is significant. It's kind of proof that it all happened. Because, of course, Hagrid has showed him pictures before. He's seen his parents in photographs, but never kind of proof that he was a family with them, right? He's just seen pictures of them for the most part. And now here it is. Here's his mother talking about him. It's got to make it more real than it's ever been before. Oh, Leah's never read the books before. Wonderful. I, I am really stoked about anybody who's here who has not read the books, uh, and especially anyone who's never read the books or seen the movies. If this is your first time experiencing Harry Potter, uh, I am very glad to be able to uh, sort of <laughs> drive this night bus for you. Uh, I'm very excited. But thanks for being here. Um, they figure out something here. Uh, R.A.B. is likely Regulus Arcturus Black. This is Sirius's brother. Now, who would have thought that they would be able to come so close to this without sort of realizing that they were? Uh, but it makes sense. Regulus Arcturus Black, Sirius's younger brother, at one point did indeed join... Really? Really, Sam? Did indeed join... Um, uh, Voldemort, and then eventually became disenchanted. Is that a pun? Mm, impossible to know. Uh, as we as we proceed with Regulus's story, we find that uh, Creature has a lot of insight into this. Apparently, Creature had the locket that they seek at one point. Um, but Creature has kind of a dark tale to tell. It seems that back in... Well, back in the, the earlier times, at the height of Voldemort's power before... Um, Voldemort needed a house elf, and Regulus volunteered a creature. Voldemort brought creature to the island in which Harry and Dumbledore found this first locket, uh, and made creature drink the potion, and then used that hiding spot to put the original locket. Uh, and soon after that, it seems that Regulus asked creature to accompany him to that very same cave, the very same lake in the cave, um, and instead of having Creature drink the potion, he, Regulus, drank the potion himself and asked Creature to replace the locket and then leave him there. Switch the lockets out, switch, take the real locket and put this fake one in, uh, and then go back home and destroy the true locket. 
but you can't tell anyone what I've done. There's a lot. There's a lot more insight into creature that we have never had before. Um, and, uh, you know, Harry, in this moment, finally finds it within himself to be respectful, to, to have some consideration for the plight of creature. Thanks, Tuna. Tuna with, what is those, little little cupcake people? <laughs> Makes you uncomfortable to look at. I don't like seeing them. All right. Let's continue on with our next chapter. As usual, folks, welcome to Sidecar Stories. And if you've got something you'd like to talk about, go ahead and put it in chat, because I would love to discuss it. Any questions, any comments, any concerns? And uh, Lisa Hall is wondering, how old will you be, Sam? And I tell you what, I'm going to save that. I'm going to save that for the AMA, because here's another reminder. I'm doing an AMA. Ask me anything. If you've got questions, you can put them in the Discord. Uh, the link will be popping in occasionally, but it's in the AMA channel, and uh, I'll answer them on Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. There you go. Tuna does say 83. Tuna, I thought we were going to wait. I thought we were going to wait until thought we were going to wait until Tuesday to tell everyone I'm turning 83. Chapter 11. The Bribe. If Creature could escape a lake full of inferi, Harry was confident that the capture of Mundungus would take a few hours at most. And he prowled the house all morning in a state of high anticipation. However, Creature did not return that following morning, or even afternoon. By nightfall, Harry felt discouraged and anxious, and a supper composed largely, largely of moldy bread, upon which Hermione had tried a variety of unsuccessful transfigurations, did nothing to help. Okay, just a moment, folks. I'll be right back. Creature did not return the following day, nor the day after that. However, two cloaked men had appeared in the square outside number 12, and they remained there into the night, gazing in the direction of the house that they could not see. It's Death Eaters for sure, said Ron, as he, Harry, and Hermione watched them from the drawing room windows. You reckon that they know that we're in here? I don't think so, said Hermione, although she did look frightened. Or else that they or else they would have sent Snape in after us, wouldn't they? Do you reckon that he's been in here and had his tongue tied by Moody's curse? Yes, said Hermione. Otherwise he'd have been able to tell that lot oh wait, oh. Otherwise he'd have been able to tell that lot how to get in, wouldn't he? But they're probably watching to see whether we'd turn up. They know that Harry owns the house, after all. How do they... began Harry. Wizarding wills are examined by the Ministry, remember? They'll know if Sirius left you the place. The presence of the Death Eaters behind... in front of Grimald Place... I'm sorry, folks. There's a, there's a, a noise going on in the background. The presence of the Death Eaters outside increased the ominous mood inside number 12. They had not heard word from anyone beyond Grimold Place since Mr. Weasley's Patronus, and the strain was starting to tell. 
restless and irritable, Ron had developed an annoying habit of playing with the deluminator in his pocket. This particularly infuriated Hermione, who was whiling away the wait for Creature by studying the tales of Beetle the Bard, and did not appreciate the way that the lights kept flashing on and off. "'Will you stop it?' she cried on the third evening of Creature's absence, as all light was sucked from the drawing room window again. "'I'm sorry,' said Ron, clicking the deluminator and restoring the lights. "'I don't... I don't even know that I'm doing it.' "'Well, can't you find yourself something useful to occupy?' "'What, like reading kids' stories?' "'Dumbledore left me this book, Ron.' "'And he left me the deluminator. Maybe I'm supposed to use it.' Unable to stand the bickering, Harry slipped out of the room unnoticed by either of them. He headed downstairs toward the kitchen, which he kept visiting because he was sure that was where Creature was likely to reappear. Halfway down the flight of stairs into the hall, however, he heard a tap on the front door, then metallic clicks and the grinding of the chain. Every nerve in his body seemed to tauten. He pulled out his wand, moved into the shadows beside the decapitated elf heads, and waited. The door opened. He saw a glimpse of the lamp-lit square outside, and a cloaked figure edged into the hall and closed the door behind it. The intruders took a step forward, and Moody's voice asked, Severus Snape? Then the dust figure rose from the end of the hall and rushed him, raising its dead hand. It was not I who killed you, Albus, said a quiet voice. The jinx broke. The dust figure exploded again, and it was impossible to make out the newcomer through the dense gray cloud it left behind. Harry pointed his wand into the middle of it. Don't move! He had forgotten the portrait of Mrs. Black. At the sound of his yell, the curtains hiding her flew open, and she began to scream, Mud bloods and filth dishonoring my house! Ron and Hermione came crashing down the stairs behind Harry, wands pointing, like his, at the unknown man, now standing with his arms raised in the hall below. Hold your fire, it's, it's me, Remus. Oh, thank goodness, said Hermione weakly, pointing her wand at Mrs. Black instead. With a bang, the curtains swished shut again, and silence fell. Ron, too, lowered his wand, but Harry did not. Show yourself, he called back. Lupin moved forward into the lamplight, hands still held high in a gesture of surrender. I am Remus John Lupin, werewolf, sometimes known as Moody, one of the four creators of the Marauder's Map, married to Nymphadora, usually known as Tonks, and I taught you how to produce a Patronus, Harry, which takes the form of a stag. Oh, all right, said Harry, lowering his wand. But I had a check, didn't I? Speaking as your ex-defense against the dark arts teacher, I quite agree that you had to check. Ron, Hermione, you shouldn't be so quick to lower your defenses. They ran down the stairs toward him. Wrapped in a thick black traveling cloak, he looked exhausted, but pleased to see them. No sign of Severus, then? 
he asked. No, said Harry. What's going on? Is everyone okay? Yes, said Lupin. But we're all being watched. There are a couple of Death Eaters in the square outside. We know. I had to operate very precisely onto the top step outside the front door to be sure that they would not see me. They can't know that you're in here, or I'm sure that they'd have more people out there. They're staking out everywhere that's got a connection with you, Harry. Let's go downstairs. I, there's a lot to tell you, and I want you to know what happened after you left the burrow. They descended into the kitchen, where Hermione pointed her wand at the grate. A fire sprang up instantly. It gave the illusion of coziness to the stark stone walls and glistened off the long wooden table. Lupin pulled a few butterbeers from beneath his traveling cloak and set them down. I've been here, I would have been here three days ago, but I needed to shake off the Death Eater tailing me, said Lupin. So you came straight here after the wedding? No, said Harry. Only after we ran into a couple of Death Eaters in a court, um, in a cafe on Tottenham Court Road. Lupin slopped most of his butterbeer down his front. Oh, Walt? They explained what had happened. When they had finished, Lupin looked aghast. But how do they find you so quickly? It's impossible to track anyone who apparates unless you grab hold of them as they disappear. And it doesn't seem likely that they were just strolling down Tottenham Court Road at the time, does it? We wondered, said Hermione tentatively, whether Harry could still have the trace upon him. Impossible, said Lupin. Ron looked smug, and Harry felt hugely relieved. Apart from anything else, they would know for sure that Harry was here if he had the trace on him, wouldn't they? But I can't see how they would have tracked you to Tottenham Court Road. That's worrying. Really worrying. He looked disturbed. But as far as Harry was concerned, that question could wait. Tell us what happened after we left. We haven't heard a single thing since Ron's dad told us that the family was safe. Well, Kingsley saved us, said Lupin. Thanks to his warning, most of the wedding guests were able to disapparate before they arrived. Were they Death Eaters or Ministry people? interjected Hermione. A mixture, but to all intents and purposes they're the same thing now, said Lupin. There were about a dozen of them, and they didn't know that you were there, Harry. Arthur heard a rumor that they tried to torture your whereabouts out of Scrimgeour before they killed him. If that's true, he didn't give you away. Harry looked at Ron and Hermione. Their expressions reflected the mingled shock and gratitude that he felt. He had never liked Scrimgeour much, but if what Lupin had said was true... The man's final act had been to protect Harry. Death Eaters searched the burrow from top to bottom, Lupin went on. They found the ghoul, but they didn't want to get too close. Then they interrogated those of us who remained for hours. They were trying to get information on you, Harry, but of course nobody apart from the Order knew that you had been there. 
At the same time they were smashing up the wedding, more Death Eaters were forcing their way into every order-connected house in the country. No deaths, he added quickly, forestalling the question. But they were rough. They burned down Daedalus Dickel's house, but as you know, he wasn't there. And they used the Cruciatus curse on Tonks's family. Again, trying to find out where you went after you visited them. They were all right. Shaken, obviously, but otherwise all right. The Death Eaters got through all those protective charms, Harry asked, remembering how effective they had been on the night that he had crashed into Tonks's parents' garden. What you've got to realize, Harry, is that the Death Eaters have got the full might of the Ministry on their side now, said Lupin. They've got the power to perform brutal spells without fear of identification or arrest. They've managed to penetrate every defensive spell that we had cast against them, and once inside, they were completely open about why they had come. And are they bothering to give an excuse for torturing Harry's whereabouts out of people? asked Hermione, an edge to her voice. Well, said Lupin. He hesitated, then pulled out a folded copy of the Daily Prophet. Here, he said, pushing it across the table to Harry. You'll know sooner or later anyway. That's their pretext for going after you. Harry smoothed out the paper. A huge photograph of his own face filled the front page. He read the headline over it. Wanted for questioning about the death of Albus Dumbledore. Ron and Hermione gave roars of outrage, but Harry said nothing. He pushed the newspaper out of the way. He didn't want to read anymore. He knew what it would say. Nobody but those who had been on top of the tower when Dumbledore died knew who had really killed him. And, as Rita Skeeter had already told the Wizarding World, Harry had been seen running from the place moments after Dumbledore had fallen. I'm sorry, Harry, Lupin said. So, Death Eaters have taken over the Daily Prophet, too? asked Hermione furiously. Lupin nodded. But surely people realize what's been going on? The coup has been smooth and virtually silent, said Lupin. The official version of Scrimgeour's murder is that he resigned. He has been replaced by Pius Thickness, who is under the Imperious Curse. Why didn't Voldemort declare himself Minister of Magic? asked Ron. Lupin laughed. He doesn't need to, Ron. Effectively, he is the Minister, but why should he sit behind a desk at the Ministry? His puppet, Thickness, is taking care of everyday business, leaving Voldemort free to extend his power beyond the Ministry. Naturally, many people have deduced what has happened. There has been such a dramatic change in ministry policy in the last few days, and many are whispering that Voldemort must be behind it. However, that is the point. They whisper. They daren't confide in each other, not knowing whom to trust. They're scared to speak out in case their suspicions are true and the families are targeted. Yes, Voldemort is playing a very clever game. Declaring himself might have provoked open rebellion. Remaining masked has created 
confusion, uncertainty, and fear. And this dramatic change in ministry policy, said Harry, involves warning the wizarding world about me instead of Voldemort? Well, that's certainly part of it, said Lupin, and it was a masterstroke. Now that Dumbledore is dead, you, the boy who lived, were sure to be the symbol and rallying point for any resistance to Voldemort, but by suggesting that you had a hand in the old hero's death, Voldemort has not only set a price upon your head, but sown doubt and fear amongst many who would have defended you. Meanwhile, the Ministry has started moving against Muggleborns. Lupin pointed at the Daily Prophet. Look at page two. Hermione turned the pages with the same expression of distaste she had worn when handling secrets of the darkest art. Muggle-born register, she read aloud. The Ministry of Magic is now undertaking a survey of so-called muggle-borns to better understand how they came to possess magical secrets. Recent research undertaken by the Department of Mysteries reveals that magic can only be passed from one person to another person when wizards reproduce. Where no proven wizarding ancestry exists, therefore, the so-called muggle-born is likely to have obtained magical power by theft or force. The Ministry has determined to root out such usurpers of magical power, and to this end has issued an invitation to every so-called Muggleborn to present themselves for interview by the newly appointed Muggleborn's Registration Committee. People won't let this happen, said Ron. It, it is happening, Ron, said Lupin. Muggleborns are being rounded up as we speak. But how are they supposed to have stolen magic, said Ron. It's mental! If you could steal magic, there wouldn't be any squibs, would there? I know, said Lupin. Nevertheless, unless you can prove that you have had at least one close wizarding relative, you are now deemed to have obtained your magical power illegally and must suffer the punishment. Ron glanced at Hermione, and then said, What if pure bloods and half-bloods swear that a muggle-born is part of their family? I'll tell everyone that Hermione's my cousin. Hermione covered Ron's hand with hers and squeezed it. Thank you, Ron, but I couldn't let you. You wouldn't have a choice, said Ron fiercely, gripping her hand back. I'll teach you my family tree so you can answer questions on it. Hermione gave a shaky laugh. Ron, as we're on the run with Harry Potter, the most wanted person in the country, I don't think it matters. If I was going back to school, it would be different. What is Voldemort planning for Hogwarts? She asked Lupin. Attendance is now compulsory for every young witch and wizard, he replied. That was now, that was announced yesterday. It's a change because it was never obligatory before. Of course, nearly every witch and wizard in Britain has been educated at Hogwarts, but their parents had the right to teach them at home or send them abroad if they preferred. This way, Voldemort will have the whole wizarding population under his eye from a young age. It's also another way of weeding out muggle-borns, because students must be given blood status, meaning that they are proven to the Ministry that they are of a wizard descent before they are allowed to attend. Harry felt sickened and angry. 
At this moment, excited 11-year-olds would be poring over stacks of newly purchased spellbooks, unaware that they would never see Hogwarts. Perhaps never see their families again either. It's... It's... He muttered, struggling to find words that did justice to the horror of his thoughts. But Lupin said quietly, I know. Lupin hesitated. I'm... I understand if you can't confirm this, Harry, but the Order is under the impression that Dumbledore left you a mission. He did, Harry replied, and Ron and Hermione are in on it and they're coming with me. Can you confide in me what the mission is? Harry looked into the prematurely lined face, framed in thick but graying hair, and wished that he could return a different answer. I can't, Remus. I'm sorry. If Dumbledore didn't tell you, I don't think I can. I thought that you'd say that, said Lupin, looking disappointed. But I might still be of some use to you. You know what I am and what I can do. I could come with you to provide protection. There would be no need to tell me exactly what you were up to. Harry hesitated. It was a very tempting offer. Though how they would be able to keep their mission secret from Lupin if he were with them all the time, he could not imagine. Hermione, however, looked puzzled. But... What about Tonks? She asked. What about her? said Lupin. Well, said Hermione, frowning, you're married. How did she feel about you going away with us? Tonks's will be perfectly safe, said Lupin. She'll be at her parents' house. There was something strange in Lupin's tone. It was almost cold. There was also something odd in the idea of Tonks remaining hidden at her parents' house. She was, after all, a member of the Order and, as far as Harry knew, was likely to want to be in the thick of the action. Remus, said Hermione tentatively, is everything all right? You know, between you and... Everything is fine, thank you, said Lupin pointedly. Hermione turned pink. There was another pause. An awkward and embarrassing one. And then Lupin said, with an air of forcing himself to admit something unpleasant, Tonks is going to have a baby. Oh, how wonderful! squealed Hermione. Excellent! said Ron enthusiastically. Congratulations! said Harry. Lupin gave an artificial smile that looked more like a grimace, and then said, So, do you accept my offer? Will three become four? I cannot believe that Dumbledore would have disapproved. He appointed me your defense against the dark arts teacher, after all. And I must tell you that I believe that we are facing magic many of us have never encountered or imagined. Ron and Hermione both looked at Harry. Just to be clear, he said. You want to leave Tonks at her parents and come away with us. She'll be perfectly safe there. They look after her. 
said Lupin. He spoke with a finality bordering on indifference. Harry, I am sure that James would have wanted me to stick with you. Well, said Harry slowly, I'm not. I'm pretty sure that my father would have wanted to know why you're not sticking with your own kid, actually. Lupin's face drained of color. The temperature in the kitchen might have dropped ten degrees. Ron stared around the room as though he had been bidden to memorize it, while Hermione's eyes swiveled backward and forward from Harry to Lupin. "'You don't understand,' said Lupin at last. "'Explain, then,' said Harry. Lupin swallowed. "'I... I made a grave mistake in marrying Tonks.' I did it against my better judgment, and I have regretted it very much ever since. I see, said Harry. So you're just going to dump her and the kid and run off with us? Lupin sprang to his feet. His chair toppled over backward, and he glared at them so fiercely that Harry saw, for the first time ever, the shadow of the wolf upon his human face. Don't you understand what I've done to my wife and my unborn child? I never should have married her. I've made her an outcast. Lupin kicked aside the chair he had overturned. You've only ever seen me amongst the Order or under Dumbledore's protection at Hogwarts. You don't know how most of the wizarding world sees creatures like me. When they know of my affliction, they can barely talk to me. Can you see what I've done? Even her own family is disgusted by our marriage. What parents want their only daughter to marry a werewolf? And the child? The child! Lupin actually seized handfuls of his own hair. He looked quite deranged. My kind don't usually breed. It will be like me. I am convinced of it. How can I forgive myself when I knowingly risked passing on my own condition to an innocent child? And if by some miracle it is not like me, then it will be better off a hundred times so without a father of whom it must always be ashamed. Remus, whispered Hermione, tears in her eyes, don't say that. How could any child be ashamed of you? Oh, I don't know, Hermione, said Harry. I'd be pretty ashamed of him. Harry did not know where his rage was coming from, but it had propelled him to his feet, too. Lupin looked as though Harry had hit him. If the new regime thinks Muggleborns are bad, Harry said, what will they do to a half-werewolf whose father is in the Order? My father died trying to protect my mother and me, and you reckon that he'd tell you to abandon your kid and go on an adventure with us? How? How dare you? said Lupin. This is not about a desire for, for danger or personal glory. How dare you suggest it? I think you're feeling a bit of a daredevil, Harry said. You fancy stepping into Sirius's shoes. Harry, no! Hermione begged him, but he continued to glare into Lupin's livid face. I would never have believed this, Harry said. The man who taught me to fight Dementors. A coward. Lupin drew his wand so fast Harry had barely reached for his own. There was a loud bang, and he felt himself flying backward as if punched. 
As he slammed into the kitchen wall and slid to the floor, he glimpsed the tail of Lupin's cloak disappearing around the door. Remus! Remus, come back! Hermione cried, but Lupin did not respond. A moment later, they heard the front door slam. Harry! Wheeled her, wailed Hermione. How could you? It was easy, said Harry. He stood up. He could feel a lump swelling where his head had hit the wall. He was so full of anger, he was shaking. Don't look at me like that! He snapped at Hermione. Don't you start on her, snarled Ron. No, no, we mustn't fight, said Hermione, launching herself between them. You shouldn't have said that stuff to Lupin, Ron said to Harry. Ron said to Harry. He had it coming to him, said Harry. Broken images were racing each other through his mind. Sirius falling through the veil, Dumbledore suspended, broken in midair. A flash of green light and his mother's voice begging for mercy. Parents, said Harry, shouldn't leave their kids, unless, unless they've got to. Harry, said Hermione, stretching out a consoling hand, but he just shrugged it off and walked away, his eyes on the fire Hermione had conjured. He had once spoken to Lupin out of that fireplace seeking reassurance about James, and Lupin had consoled him. Now Lupin's tortured white face seemed to swim in the air before him. He felt a sickening surge of remorse. Neither Ron nor Hermione spoke, but Harry felt sure they were looking at each other behind his back, communicating silently. He turned around and caught them, turning hurriedly away from each other. I know I shouldn't have called him a coward. No, you shouldn't, said Ron at once, but he was acting like one. All the same, said Hermione. I know, said Harry, but if it makes him go back to Tonks, it'll be worth it, won't it? He could not keep the plea out of his voice. Hermione looked sympathetic, Ron uncertain. Harry looked down at his feet, thinking of his father. Would James have backed Harry in what he had said to Lupin? Or would he have been angry at how his son had treated his old friend? The silent kitchen seemed to hum with the shock of the recent scene and Ron and Hermione's unspoken reproaches. The daily prophet Lupin had brought was still lying open on the table. Harry's own face staring at the ceiling from the front page. He walked over to it and sat down, opening the paper at random and pretended to read. He could not take in the words. His mind was still too full of the encounter with Lupin. He was sure that Ron and Hermione had resumed their silent communications on either side of the prophet. He turned a page loudly, and Dumbledore's name leapt out, at him. It was a moment or two before he took in the meaning of the photograph, which showed a family group. Beneath the photograph were the words, The Dumbledore family, left to right, Albus, Percival, holding newborn Ariana, Kendra, and Aberforth. 
Okay, I'm gonna need a quick second because our quiet cat is just standing silently at the door. <laughs> I'll be right back. He's a 14-year-old cat, and he's still so timid. He's like a new kitten. Harry's attention caught. He examined the picture more carefully. Dumbledore's father, Percival, was a good-looking man with eyes that seemed to twinkle even in the faded old photograph. The baby, Ariana, was a little longer than a loaf of bread and no more distinctive-looking. The mother, Kendra, had jet-black hair pulled into a high bun. Her face had a carved quality about it. Harry thought of the photos of Native Americans he had seen as he studied her dark eyes, high cheekbones, and straight nose, formally composed above a high-neck silk gown. Albus and Aberforth wore matching lacy collared jackets and had identical shoulder-length hairstyles. Albus looked several years older but otherwise the two boys looked very alike, for this was before Albus's nose had been broken and before he started wearing glasses. The family looked quite happy and normal, smiling serenely out of the newspaper. Baby Ariana's arm waved vaguely out of her shawl. Harry looked at the picture, and above saw the headline, Exclusive Extract from the Upcoming Biography of Albus Dumbledore, by Rita Skeeter. Thinking that it could hardly make him feel any worse than he already did, Harry began to read. And I believe this qualifies as doom-scrolling, doesn't it? Anyway. Proud and haughty, Kendra Dumbledore could not bear to remain on the mold in the wold after her husband's Percival had a well-publicized arrest and imprisonment in Azkaban. She therefore decided to uproot the family and relocate to Godric's Hollow, the village that would later gain fame as the scene of Harry Potter's strange escape from you-know-who. Like mold on the wold, Godric's Hollow was home to a number of wizarding families, but as Kendra knew none of them, she would be spared the curiosity about her husband's crime as she had faced in her former village. By repeatedly rebuffing the friendly advances of her new wizarding neighbors, she soon ensured that her family was left well alone. Slamming the door in my face when I went around to welcome her with a batch of homemade cauldron cakes. Oh, excuse me. Slammed the door in my face when I went around to welcome her with a batch of homemade cauldron cakes, said Batilda Bagshot. The first year, they were the only time I ever saw the two boys. Wouldn't have known there was a daughter if I hadn't been picking pla plangentines, excuse me, plangentine by moonlight the winter after they moved in and saw Kendra leading Ariana out into the back garden. Walked her around the lawn once, keeping a firm grip on her, and then took her back inside. Didn't know what to make of it. It seems that Kendra thought the move to Godric's Hollow was the perfect opportunity to hide. To hide Ariana once and for all. Something she had probably been planning to do for years. The timing was significant. 
Ariana was barely seven years old when she vanished from sight, and seven is the age by which most experts agree that magic will have revealed itself, if present. Nobody alive now remembers if Ariana ever demonstrated the slightest ability. It seems clear, therefore, that Kendra made a decision to hide her daughter's existence rather than suffer the shame of admitting she had produced a squib. Moving away from the friends and neighbors who knew Ariana would, of course, make imprisoning her all the easier. The tiny number of people who henceforth knew of Ariana's existence could have been counted upon... What? The tiny number of people who henceforth knew of Ariana's existence could be counted upon to keep secret, including her two brothers, who reflected awkward, who deflected awkward questions with the answer that their mother had taught them. My sister is too frail for school. Next week, Albus Dumbledore at Hogwarts, the prizes and the pretense. Harry had been wrong. What he had read had indeed made him feel worse. He looked at the photographs of the apparently happy family. Was it true? How would he find out? He wanted to go to Godric's Hollow, even if Batilda was in no fit state to talk to him. He wanted to visit the place where he and Dumbledore had both lost, lost loved ones. He was in the process of lowering the newspaper to ask Ron and Hermione's opinions when a deafening crack echoed around the kitchen. For the first time in three days, Harry had forgotten all about Creature. His immediate thought was that Lupin had burst back into the room. For a split second, he did not take in the mass of struggling limbs that appeared out of sight just beside his chair. He hurried to his feet as Creature disentangled himself and, bowing low to Harry, croaked, Creature has returned with the thief Mundungus Fletcher, master. Mundungus scrambled up and pulled out his wand. Hermione, however, was too quick for him. Expelliarmus! Mundungus's wand soared into the air, and Hermione caught it. Wild-eyed, Mundungus dived for the stairs. Ron Rugby tackled him, and Mundungus hit the stone floor with a muffled crunch. What? what? Hmm? He bellowed, writhing in his attempts to free himself from Ron's grip. What have I done? A set of bleeding owls out for me. What are you playing at? What have I done? Let me go! Let me go, or... You're not in much of a position to make threats, said Harry. He threw aside the newspaper, crossed the kitchen in a few strides, and dropped to his knees beside Mundungus, who stopped struggling and looked terrified. Ron got up, panting, and watched as Harry pointed his wand deliberately as Mun at Mundungus's nose. Mundungus stank of stale sweat and tobacco smoke. His hair was matted and his robes stained. Creature apologizes for the delay in bringing the thief, master, croaked the elf. Fletcher knows how to avoid capture, as many hidey holes and accomplices. Nevertheless, Creature cornered the thief in the end. You've done really well, Creature, said Harry, and the elf bowed low. Right, we've got a few questions for you. Harry told Mundungus, who shouted at once, I panicked, okay. I never wanted to come along. No offense, mate, but I never volunteered to die for you. And that was bleeding. You know who came flying at me. Anyone would have got out of there. I said all along, I didn't want to do it. For your information, none of the rest of us disapparated, said Hermione. Yeah, well, you're a bunch of bleeding heroes then, aren't you? I never pretended I was up for killing myself. We're not interested in why you ran out on Mad-Eye. 
said Harry, moving his wand a little closer to Mundungus's baggy, bloodshot eyes. We already know that you are an unreliable bit of scum. Well, then why the hell am I being hunted down by house elves? Or is this about them goblets again? I ain't got none of them left, uh, or you could have them. It's not about goblets either, though you're getting warmer, said Harry. Shut up and listen. It felt wonderful to have something to do. Something, someone of whom he could demand some small portion of the truth. Harry's wand was now so close to the bridge of Mundungus's nose that Mundungus had gone cross-eyed trying to keep it in view. When you cleaned out this house of anything valuable, Harry began, but Mundungus interrupted him again. Sirius never cared about any of that junk. There was the sound of pattering feet, a blaze of shining copper, an echoing clang, and a shriek of agony. Ouch! Greeker had taken a run at Mundungus and hit him over the head with a saucepan. Call him off! Call him off! He should be locked up! Screamed Mundungus. Cowering, his creature raised the heavy bottom pan again. Creature, no! Shouted Harry. Creature's thin arms trembled with the weight of the pan, still held aloft. Perhaps just one more, Master Harry, for luck. Ron laughed. We need him, conscious creature, but if he needs persuading, you can do the honors said Harry. Thank you very much, Master, said Creature with a bow, and he retreated a short distance, his great pale eyes still fixed upon Mundungus with loathing. When you stripped this house of all the valuables you could find, Harry began again, you took a bunch of stuff from the kitchen cupboard. There was a locket there. Harry's mouth was suddenly dry. He could sense Ron and Hermione's tension and excitement, too. What did you do with it? Why? asked Mundungus. Is it valuable? You've still got it! cried Hermione. No, he hasn't, said Ron shrewdly. He's wondering whether he should have asked more money for it. More? said Mundungus. That wouldn't have been effing difficult. Bleeding gave it away, didn't I? No choice. What do you mean? I was selling in Diagon Alley, and she comes up to me and asks if I've got a license for trading in magical artifacts. Bleeding Snoop. She was going to find me, but she took a fancy to lock it and told me that she'd take it off me, and that time I should think myself as lucky. Who was this woman? asked Harry. I don't know, some ministry hag. Mundungus considered for a moment, brow wrinkled. Mm, a little woman, a bow on top of her head. He frowned, and then added, Looked like a toad. Harry dropped his wand, and hit Mun it hit Mundungus and shot red sparks into his eyebrows, which ignited. Aquamenti! screamed Hermione, and a jet of water streamed from her wand, engulfing sp a spluttering and choking Mundungus. Harry looked up and saw his own shock reflected in Ron and Hermione's faces. The scars on the back of his right hand seemed to be tingling again. I think I missed it, but Liberty, I hope you have a good night. Folks, that is the end of our second chapter. 
a couple of reminders as usual. Uh, stick around for a little bit if you want to see the beans. Uh, we've got a we've got Birdie Bots Every Flavor beans, and we've actually got some new ones to uh, throw into the mix now. Uh, they are, as far as I know, very, very spicy beans. So wish me good luck. Um, during that time, I'll be going over my schedule if you're curious about that. And of course, uh, if you are curious about all things Sidecar Stories, if you want the main hub of everything Sidecar Stories, head into the Discord. That's the place to get all the news, to get updates, to find out when I'm live. It's fantastic because I've actually found out I can change some of my settings and it is automatically muted when you get in there. So don't worry about getting a bunch of extra notifications. You will only be um, addressed by mentions. So it's important you go to the notifications channel so that I can uh, make sure to show you the stuff that you wanna see and nothing that you don't. So if you care a lot about this, but don't care about Dungeon World, you don't have to hear about Dungeon World. So head to the Discord. Um, thanks, folks. Uh, let's see. Oh, just the four of you put that in at the same time. Good. Nyigmas? <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. But hey, welcome. Welcome to Scooter Patrol. Good to have you here. 413. I think this is one of those few cases where the numbers are going to be easier to refer to you by. Um, Let's see. Sloth Creatures says, I missed the first chapter. When will this be posted to YouTube? That's an excellent question. I post these to YouTube on a one-week delay, uh, exactly 24 hours before the live show. So, uh, in the meantime, I will warn you. Um, I guess not, not a warning so much as a reminder. Uh, you can find these for two weeks on Twitch. So if you're watching this on YouTube and you know what, you just want to get it a little bit earlier, um, they are available basically the moment that I am done reading them. They're available on Twitch. Uh, they're available on Twitch for two weeks. And then, of course, uh, 24 hours before the next live show, you'll see this one. So if you are watching this on YouTube, if you're watching this during the YouTube premiere, um, whatever time this started for you, Come back tomorrow at the exact same time. But come to Twitch. And it'll be here for the live show. Fantastique. Folks. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the things that we saw here. And then I'm going to summon in my my good friend. Um, <laughs> if if y'all are wondering about the good friend, uh, you'll have to catch one of our uh, Fall Guys streams. We covered it there. But... Um, I'm going to call in my, my lovely assistant and I'll be right back. Hold on. I'm just going to let her know, sort of let her get in here, hop in here on her own pace. And then, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the chapter. I'll be right back. Oh, pfft. 
And I unplugged my mic too. Hold on. There we go. I am back. Uh, I, I got up, took a nice stretch. Never you fear. I'm well hydrated. Uh, now, folks, <laughs> this is the... Um, this is... I think we're going to do a bit of a recap here. Uh, as you can hear, I'm a bit... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on some weird energy today, which is fine. We're going to roll with it. I'm glad you've all joined me here today. It just makes it more exciting when I've got weird energy and y'all are here to uh, either suffer through it or benefit from it. It depends on how you think about it. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Gems. I appreciate it. Um, Leah, have a good one. Adios. Uh, and for anyone who is departing, thank you very much for joining us tonight. I hope to see you again next week or at some other time during our schedule. Um, we have got, on Tuesdays, we've got Vintage Sidecar and some game stuff starting at noon Pacific and 2 p.m. Pacific, respectively. Um, Vintage Sidecar, we are, of course, reading through Frankenstein. On Wednesdays uh, at noon Pacific, we start a three- or four-hour session of Dungeon World. We are currently going through our adventure. If you like D&D or something like it, that is exactly what we're doing. Uh, on Thursdays, you know what we do on Thursdays. You're here. And then, of course, on Fridays, so tomorrow, we have Spout Lore Session. So if you're looking for a way to sort of learn a little bit about RPGs, uh, we do a recap of our last session, and then uh, we talk about some things for our campaign. Uh, last Friday, we actually spent an hour just creating deities for the campaign. It's a lot of super fun world-building stuff, and I, I hope you'll, you'll come check it out at some point. And then at 2 p.m. Pacific, we do more game stuff. But of course, next week is going to look a little bit different, isn't it? Next week on Tuesday, Tuesday's going to be the different one, we are doing our typical, um, we're doing a vintage sidecar as usual at noon Pacific, and then instead of doing games at 2 p.m., I'm going to take a break for a while until 4 p.m. Pacific time, so exactly whatever time this starts for you, Come back on Tuesday night next week because I'm doing an AMA for my birthday. I've had some suggestions for it. I figured, you know what? It's high time. So I'm giving it a shot. I've never done it before. Am I nervous? Yes. Am I excited? Yes. So if you want to uh, contribute questions for that, I'm going to put the Discord uh, link in one more time. Here it is. Quick, catch it before it disappears. And finally, folks, let's talk about the chapter. What did we learn? What did we learn in this one? Um, I think we have got a bit more about Lupin, which is a strange little, a strange little interaction here, right? This is the first time we've seen Harry and Lupin's truly at odds with one another, and we are seeing some of their deep convictions come to light. Intikana, thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, my birthday's on the fourteenth, on Monday, and then uh, yeah, beans are going to be coming after this, um, but. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But we have seen, we have seen uh, the 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 things that Harry holds very important, and yet he doesn't mention this one in such clear terms until right now. Right? We have seen Harry, you know, talk a little bit about the the responsibilities of you know parents, but right now he says it very explicitly: parents shouldn't leave their children unless they're forced to. Now, it makes a lot of sense why why Harry feels so strongly about this, right? This is something that has impacted his entire life. And if his parents had had a choice to put him in the situation that he's in, rather than not being left with a choice, as they were, um, I think I think Harry thinks, boy, if, if my parents had been able to decide and decided this, 
yeah, I, I would have hated them. Something along those lines. He doesn't say that, but you know, I, I think we can get the sense that, like, if if a parent could be responsible for sparing a child a life without them, then they've got the responsibility not to do that, not to not to take the, whatever action would separate them. Now, of course, Lupin is coming to this from a bit of a different perspective, right? Uh, Joe says, uh, Lupin, <laughs> do be acting weird in this chapter. Um, the the things that we see from Lupin, I think, make sense. And by the way, Samwell, hello. Sorry you won't be able to make it, but uh, hopefully you'll catch it later on. Um, or maybe you're not that curious, which is fine. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the, the things that we see from Lupin right now, Harry... Harry might not fully understand. Harry only knows what it's like to feel excited to kind of be on the outside of the wizarding world, right? Lupin has been on the inside of the wizarding world and now is an outcast and has suffered this for his entire life. I think in Lupin's case, I think I, I think they kind of want the same things, right? They want the best for uh, the child that, that Lupin and Tonks will have. But they're coming at it from very different angles. And frankly, they're coming they're both coming at it from uh, something that I've talked about a lot, um, how it's important to live in the affirmative rather than the negative. Um, it's It's very easy to want to say, I'm going to live my life according to the code of I never want to be this or I never want to become this or I never want you know someone close to me to experience this. And that is that's a it's an easy temptation. But what it leaves you is essentially imagine a room with a with a target in it. You know, imagine like a like a racquetball court or something, or like a or imagine a soccer pitch. We'll go we'll go easier. And right in the center of the soccer pitch, there's a a basketball. You know what we could do? Go a lot easier and say soccer ball or football if uh, if you're coming from the UK um, or honestly most other places in the world. But imagine your only task is don't hit the ball. Great, pretty easy, right? Except there's no guarantee that wherever you hit is going to be a good place. And Harry is sort of in the perspective of, I don't know what I want for this child, but I know I don't want them to experience the life that I had of being separated from my parents. Lupin, similarly, is saying, I don't know what I want for this child, but I know I don't want them to have to suffer the, the revulsion that the wizarding world feels toward me. Neither of them have a good idea of what they want for the child. They just know what they don't want for the child. But again, I think uh, it's very understandable why they are both coming from these perspectives. And they're both, you know, reacting to deep personal pain from their lives. Uh, Grateful Lane, who I don't think is a name I've seen in chat before. So Grateful Lane, hello and welcome. Good to have you here. I don't know if you've just been lurking in the past, but it's I, I love when new people join in. Uh, I feel like they are both coming at it from a loving place. They have just experienced different realities. They absolutely have. They have had a... They've both had difficult lives for very different reasons. And it is that difficulty that has prompted them both to react very differently to the point where, you know, so differently that they're going to have a real drag-out argument about it um, in this instance. So, challenging. Uh but possibly necessary. And once again, goes back to that core thing that we've talked about so often. It's one of our themes for this entire series. Um, the world is not divided into good people and death eaters. And I would say the more important distinction within that is when people want the right thing, 
Sometimes their understanding of how to get that or what that means can be different. But it's radically important that we stay together. <laughs> okay, folks. I think that's a good place to go. And now, please join me in the potions room. <laughs> oh boy, hey, come check this out. I've got a I've got a terrible issue with my uh green screen. <laughs> it looks ridiculous. Okay, let me adjust this. Don't don't let Cass Cass is Cass is making some very bad noises with the with the beans. Okay, hold on. Hold on. And there we are. Uh I don't think you're gonna be nearly as in as you think you are. Keep on coming. Yeah, I think you got you got plenty of room. Um okay, folks. Um here, do you need to do any additional shaking? I can see that they're clinging to the side there. I'm gonna mute it for a second. Hold on. Right now we're discussing how to integrate the new bad beans, because there's some very spicy beans uh, in with the old ones. Okay. Okay, folks. We're close. T-minus 15 seconds. Okay, now, Lisa, I do indeed have plenty to drink. I know, just a second, because um, uh, I'm gonna need it. There is apparently a what, like a ghost pepper in here or something, ostensibly Carolina a Carolina Reaper one. Which, frankly, if it is nearly that hot, like it, I, I, I'm gonna tell you right now, I don't do great with spicy, spicy stuff. Which is not to say that like I'm gonna, I, it's not allergic. It's just I don't. I don't consider it uh, a personal, you know, dragon of mine to slay to eat the spicy, spicy wings that people seem to love. He's got on the on the hotto meter. Uh, on the cooler end, we've got sriracha. Then it goes jalapeno, and then cayenne, and then habanero, and then Carolina Reaper. Indeed. There are five flavors in here. Which I will. I'm going to let y'all know right now as well. Uh, these are not flavors that I know. <laughs> I mean, I know I know about cayenne. Yeah, like I I could I could zero in on some cayenne, but habanero versus you know Carolina Reaper. I'm just going to assume that if I'm crying, it was the Carolina Reaper. All right, can I put this over here real quick? Okay, folks. Um, and I want to say uh, to Tuna Sunday and to Intikana and anyone else who has who has uh, you know tossed in either a subscription or what have you. Thank you very much for contributing to the the big bad batch of beans down here. Are uh, are we are brewing a big bad batch of beans? For some reason, beans just uh, they they follow me everywhere. I think it's working well so far though. Okay, folks. Uh, she's gonna give it a quick shake so that we can uh, we can make sure they're evenly distributed. Oh boy, I don't know what that one is, but that looks hot. <laughs> Okay, good. Well, it looks like it's blood in, like, lemon jello. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Tuna. Appreciate it.
Thanks for brewing it up. All right, folks. Uh, one more shake and then we're going. Let me get my hat. All right. Good stuff. Although I will say, I don't know where my hat's at. So I need to disguise my, I need to uh, disguise myself. <laughs> so you don't know who's eating these beasy spicy beans. Okay. All right, folks, uh, let's get the AC on because I know I'm about to need it. And let's do this thing. Intikana, <laughs> thanks for these little, I keep wanting to think they're foxes, but they're corgis, aren't they? All right, folks. Now, as I said before, uh, I keep Mondays open for right now. Um, I am, I have been really encouraged by all of, uh, you know, like <laughs> uh, Shotzi and uh, Memnite, Memnite being the, the king of the hype train, con conductor of this hype train. Uh, I've been really encouraged by all the support that y'all have shown. Um, and, uh, you know, for any of you who are like renewing your subscriptions, I really, really appreciate that. Um, it has been one of the things that is making me... Uh, take a look at my Mondays and think, you know what, what could I put in there? Because I've got some plans for the channel. Um, we are going to be discussing those more at length because one of y'all, this is a spicy one. I haven't even munched into it and it's already a spicy one for sure. Um, but I want to say thank you all very, very much. Uh, everyone who has given out gift subs, that is fantastic. And everyone, uh, even you folks uh, uh, who have used your, um, uh, your Amazon Prime subscription and used that free subscription for Twitch on me. I appreciate it so much. Um, it's good to know that I am making an impact. I'm making your week a little bit better. Okay, now, let me eat this spicy, spicy beans. Oddman says, uh, same year where the capsation clings to everything, right? So your beans get spicy eventually the longer that they sit. Oh, boy. This is spicy, and I have not bit into this at all, and this is pretty spicy that I'm dealing with right here. It's, it's like a... It is a... Oh, my God. I don't know if I can bite into this thing. You're probably making it worse. Straight up, I don't know if I can bite into this thing. Oh, baby. <laughs> this is great. Mm-mm. Oh, my God, and I've got two extra beans this week. For your reference, you guys, uh, I found these while I was looking for some bug itch medicine. That one was some... Uh, we don't have any milk in the house, Frizz. Yeah, oh, wish me luck. Did you just get some? Yeah. Did you? Okay. I went to the store for avocados and I brought Oreos and milk home. That's good. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm going to need some. Okay. I'm going to go with that one. I think I actually recognize. I think that's Sriracha. Is that right? Was it bright red? No, no, no. No? Dang it. Jalapeno. Oh, boy. Milk. Um, I, I probably am going to need some. Oh, boy. That'll be a good mix. All right, gang. Well, bad beans just got a lot more interesting. <laughs> oh, baby. Hmm. Lisa says, now I'm torn. I shared, but you don't have to eat one for me. Oh, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> what did we do? If that was jalapeno, because that's even like, that's even I less know, than that's habanero, isn't it? Like, oh, that's funny. It's only the second one up on your, oh. your spice-o-meter. Sriracha is tasty. All right. Oh. Let's look. Let's get these knocked out of the way quick. I'm not going to be able to taste any good beans. It doesn't matter if I get a good bean. It's going to be, oh, interesting, a spicy cheesecake. <laughs> All right, let's get the next one in. Um, Tuesday. On Tuesday. <laughs> thank you. you got the, you're starting to get the formula down. I appreciate oh, it. I know the formula. Um, thank you for... Uh, Lisa Hall says, ban spicy beans. You know what? 
Lisa was the one who shared, so I think Lisa gets to determine which one her bean was. Yeah. So I think we'll we'll we'll, get, we'll take it from the good pile, and I'll see if I can guess because we do have distinct like just good beans as well. Not to worry. Those are the ones I get to eat. And I appreciate the the little the little shield of protection that Lisa Hall has just magicked over me. Yeah, I'm just gonna have to cast Aquamenti on my tongue. Okay, here we go. Next bean. Out on Tuesdays. Vintage sidecar, but of course on next Tuesday, on Monday is my birthday, so on Tuesday we're doing the AMA. I already actually ran through my whole schedule very briefly. Uh, before we started, so I'll just talk about Frankenstein. Uh, Frankenstein is fantastic. I am really, really enjoying it. Um, if you have ever wanted to sort of not just understand classic literature a little bit better, but also understand how to understand classic literature a little bit better, we go through, we go paragraph by paragraph for one read through. We stop uh, on words to look up, etc. Then we talk about the chapter, and then we do a final read through all the way through once we've got uh, now that we've got all the context around it so Frankenstein is going super well I really enjoyed Great Gatsby in the past and I'm looking forward to whatever we're going to do next okay this one's a good bean but it's impenetrable I've got no idea um it's citrusy um maybe maybe pineapple again that was a bad first bean to go on uh I'm really really anxious now about what that if that was a jalapeno bean, because I've had jalapenos before, and I've never had one that bad. Of course, I've never had one at that density. I typically work on them a little slower in some pico or something. Yeah, Holly says, poor Sam. First, an hour of creature voice, now spicy death bean. Oh, boy. <laughs> Intikana, Luis Allen. Folks, thank you very much for uh, throwing some bits on the pile. Thanks for helping me brew this terrible, terrible bean potion. I'm going to go with pineapple for that one. I know it's not technically citrus. I know. Don't tweet me. It's tangerine or orange. Tangerine or orange? I should have gone more citrusy then. Yep. Dang it. All right. Well, that does not... That doesn't even get a one with an asterisk. Thanks, Tuna. <laughs> Thanks for the cupcakes, Tuna. Okay. Uh, next up, Wednesdays. Folks. Folks. I'm going to tell you right now. I think um, even cooler than this right here is the chat plays dungeon world campaign i don't know if you've ever watched uh critical role or you're just curious about the stories that can be told in rpgs i was shocked when i found out um and it's the reason why i got back into rpgs i first played when i was in middle school took a long break didn't play in high school didn't play in college and then immediately after college i realized oh wow there are amazing stories being told in rpgs right now and i am very proud that uh, with you folks who have decided to join me on Wednesdays, uh, we have continued that tradition, and I am super excited about the campaign. I'm super excited about. Um, oh Did boy, I didn't, but I I saw some. I saw it. <laughs> I saw a little a little chat message pop up, and then Cass immediately darts her hand in front of it, so I can't see it. So I'm not sure what it says, but uh, can you tell me who it was from? Uh, Joe. 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 15. Yeah. Joe. Apparently, you've said something sensitive. <laughs> I'm sure it's a bean spoiler. All right, let's try it. So come hang out on Wednesdays here at Twitch, 12 p.m. Pacific time. Hmm. Okay, okay. It's the maple syrup one. So it's caramel corn or it's pancakes, right? There's Isn't there like a maple syrup and there's also caramel corn? And I keep getting them mixed up. I keep thinking they're waffles. Don't just shrug at me. I need help. Hey, help! There's a whole library of beans over there. There's a whole, like, Snape's potion cupboard of, of uh, beans. 
Okay. Hmm. It's a good bean. It's a sweet bean. Am I getting any of that, like, popcorn flavor? I'm trying. Beans are making you hungry. Now you want pancakes, says Click Clack Click Clack Cloud Clicker. Kit Cloud Kicker, which I just realized is an actual thing from something. I didn't realize it was before. Oh man, I I want I want Belgian waffles, but hmm. You goosed me before because there's also maple syrup. Come on, um, I'm gonna have to go with. Is there any popcorn in here? Is there any popcorn in here? It's maple syrup, is what it is. I'm gonna I'm dedicating myself to that. Final answer: maple syrup. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. What'd you put? Um. Calling it right now, that flavor is olive. <laughs> is that what it looks like? Does it look like olive? It's brown, but on the camera, it definitely looks like okay. a bad bean. <laughs> Frizz, thank you. Oh, boy. Mm. These are not great. Thank you, sweet white north. <laughs> oh, Louise, thank you. I appreciate it. What is it? What is that face? Is swift rage? Yeah, that's my best spicy beans face. Oh, you brewed it. You boiled the potion. It's, it's exploded now. Oh, okay. The poor dogs. <laughs> the poor workers. And all of, all of Tuna's poor, poor cupcakes. All right, let's move on. I am so anxious. Oh, pork chop. Thank you. Um, I'm anxious about another spicy one on uh, inbound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm ready. No, you're not. <laughs> all right, now I'm ready. Oh boy. On Thursdays, y'all know what y'all know what Thursdays are about. Y'all know what Thursdays are about. If you want more information on the Wednesday stuff, go to sidecarstories.fandom.com. I will here. Let me see if I can type that in chat. Let me see. Right, hold on. All right. Okay. Here. Go ahead. All right. Now let me let me get a bite on this one and see what I can do. It's a good bean. Okay. Mmm, I'm getting a little bit of like I'm getting a little bit of like black licorice a little. Um, this is a complex one. What is that? That's a complex bean right there. We'll spread it out, Joe. I'll need I'll need more reminders than uh, than just six right in a row. I know that for sure. Um, or you can drop all six after I get a, a Carolina Reaper bean down my gullet. Um, uh, actually, my hookup is uh, so Stud asks where do I get my beans? Um, I got a big one sent to me by Tuna. And then we found this other one recently, which is just full of um, these, uh, it's, this is just full of spicy beans. And we found that, uh, what? At the grocery at, store. Yeah, at the grocery store. Um, it was just like in the discount section. So we were like, oh, yeah, well, obviously, because we were running out of some of the bad beans anyway. I found them when so, I was looking for bug, bug cream. Bug <laughs> <laughs> cream for my bugs. She, uh, she gives, she's a bug masseuse is her profession. <laughs> She's a, she's a, oh shoot, what is it, Lapidoptera massagist? What? 
Look, I tried. Anyway, um, uh, oh, did you get a spicy one? No. No? What'd you get? Was it the same one that I just got? Oh boy, she's losing it about something. She just took a, she just grabbed a bean. So she's grabbing out of the big bucket, which means it wasn't one of the spicy beans. But it also means that I don't know what would have made her react like that. She just spit it in the garbage and dashed out of the room. <laughs> oh, yeah, my bean dealer and uh, my that's that's why we that's why we goof that Tune is my manager because he actually does perform like some managerial duties. It's not just that. It's a lot of stuff. It's only it's only half a joke that Tuna's my manager. Oh, did you go for one of the... Did you get one of the spicy ones? I think so. Oh, I, I gotcha. It has to be. Sure. I thought it was... I reached in for, like, just a plain red one, because those are my favorite ones from in here. Sure. Apparently, it's... So, tell me this. Why didn't you go for a plain red one from the big bucket? Because then I have to dig. Oh, no. I ate all the ones off the top. I didn't do it. This wasn't my fault. It's so hot. Yeah, it's, there are some real hot ones in there. Good luck to you. It must have been, what, sriracha, I guess? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think this is sriracha. Fortunately, it does not stick around for as long as actual spicy stuff does. This one is mostly gone already. Okay, folks. Let's do it. Um, shoot. That's not fun. So that must have been Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which means we are now on B number five. So this is my typical, this is my typical limit, except I've got extra beans this week. Ow. <laughs> you got, you got the tongue pain? It hurts really bad. All right. <laughs> Jesse's just sitting here howling in laughter, apparently. Okay. Uh, let's see where I got. I'm not getting a lot of spicy without biting into it. So I think I might be safe. But of course, I still got some of that, a little bit of that ambient spice in the background. Okay. Look, Bean Queen has a tax. I'm going for it. This is my paycheck right here. Are the, <laughs> the beans that I get to eat while Sam is eating beans. Beans paycheck. Uh, I'm pretty confident this one's kiwi. Final answer. I'm going, I'm going straight off the dome on this one. It was mango. It was mango? This is the kiwiest mango there ever was. <laughs> pork chop says, uh, "Mama pork, not just pork chop." Mama pork chop says, "Which one's green?" Um, I think the the jalapeno would have been green. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven green ones in the big one, and one jalapeno. Oh yeah, I didn't do great. I didn't even guess that last one, did I? You got, I got distracted because you ran out of the room. <laughs> oh, yeah. You said it's complex. It was complex. Yeah. I, I Straight up, I've got no idea what it was. I have no idea. You're not even guess? Not anymore. Now, now I got mango on the brain. Well, it was berry blue. Berry blue? Apparently, berry blue is very complex. <laughs> I mean, it was complex. That's I don't know. I'm laughing. <laughs> anyway. Okay, folks. Uh, now... Let's commence with the extra beans. Now, extra beans. How, do, how does one incur extra beans? Well, um, as a number of you have learned, uh, the best way to do it is to share the hashtag and, um, honestly, share the hashtag and my handle. It's the best way for me to make sure that I actually see them. 
Um, so hashtag HP out loud and my handle sidecar stories. It's sidecar stories everywhere. Generally, I look on Instagram and Twitter, but uh, for one for Lisa Hall. Thank you very much for uh, for sharing around. Yep, Miss Frizzle has kindly put it in the chat for us. But all right, let's get this one for Lisa. Let's see if I can guess. This is the Lisa Hall bean of. This is coming from the big back, the big bucket. There are no bad beans in the big bucket. Lisa, what's your favorite color? <laughs> what's your favorite color, Lisa? I don't know if I don't know how well they can hear you, so I'm just repeating what she says. Okay, we got it. Let's see. Alright, I'm gonna that's gotta be curious because then I'm not gonna be able to look at chat because otherwise I'll know what bean it is. Do you need help? No. There are many colors in there. I know. I'm aware. <laughs> there we go. Hey, we got one. Okay, folks. This one for Lisa Hall. Lisa Hall, thank you for spreading the good word about the show. I appreciate it. Bonk. Okay. Let's try it. I'm, I'm chomping right in. Well, no, I'm not. Mm, I don't. Now I am. I know, I was just trying to see if I get any extra flavor from it, strutting on the outside. But typically that's just, that gets all confused because it's a sweet coating on the outside and everything. I don't know. Okay. Let's see. So this one... It's a little sour. I could see it being like lemon or lime or something. Hmm. You gotta drink more water. There's a bunch in there. I know, I've been drinking it. Okay. Hmm... I don't know. It's not. I don't know if it's quite sour enough, though. I'm gonna go with like lemon drop. It's a it's a pretty gentle lemon, but I'm gonna go with that. I think. Final answer. Okay, I'm gonna tell you her favorite color is blue. Do you want to change your mind? No, it's a blue lemon. <laughs> it's blueberry. <laughs> Rats. And I had to dig because I already gave you the light blue one, and I already told you what it was, even though you didn't guess. So I, that. I told you, Joe, you got to spread those out. Otherwise, I'm going to... Because I, I, I can tell you one thing. I'm not just going to down all my water right now because I'm going to need this later on. Um, I wasn't able to guess it. Apparently, apparently, blueberry is not a flavor I know. But hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> okay. Um, and speaking of water, could you actually uh, rejoin me over here? Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay, folks. Uh, now, there are no Death Eaters in chat because you get banned if you're a Death Eater. Um, Canvas Art underscore CL on Instagram. Are they here? Uh, I don't know if they're here. They probably go by a different name if they are here. But um, this one goes out to Canvas Art underscore CL. Thank you very much for splitting the... Sp splitting. Splitting Slinks for splitting the globe word. I forgot I had to put this down. I was just riffing, like, why isn't she going? Why isn't she? Please help. Please release me from this riff. It's barely even a riff. It was no good. No good at all. All right. So, first of all, let's see if I'm getting any spicy from it. So, I'm going to be nervous if I get, like, um, if I get, like, uh, I don't know, like, habanero or... Or, uh, I think, I think the one I ate was the 
my mouth and then I took a bite. Okay, this is definitely a spicy one. That's not good. You can tell right away. I think this is going to be a, a, a jalapeno. For some reason, I just got like a little flash of green on my palate. I think I got, I think, it. I don't know, it tastes like what, what happens when you just chuck a jalapeno back. Um, which I would never do for a whole one, but I would for like a, just a little bit to try some. When I'm making pico de gallo. Which, yeah, I put an extra syllable in there. That extra syllable is for you. Uh, who was the last person? Lisa Hall. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay, here we go. A spicy, a spicy bean. Although I don't think it's going to be a terrible one. Mmm, that might be cayenne. Now that I think about it. It tastes like... <clears throat> oh. oh, heck yes we have, Joe. Love Hamilton. Hamilton's got to be one of my favorite stories out of anything. I think my, like, probably... Hamilton's in my top five favorite stories in any medium, as is The Last of Us, and, I mean, Harry Potter's probably in my top ten as well. Okay. I'm going to go with Cayenne, because it's got that warmth hitting the back of my tongue like that. Thanks, Louise. Thanks for thanks for continuing to brew with us. How did they hit your shoulder? Cayenne. It tastes like grunt. That's not a flavor, Sam. Hey, Holly, look, I was getting around to it. Uh, it's sriracha. Sriracha? Oh, I got I got the color right at least. It's red. <laughs> there we go. We got another one. A third one? Yeah, there's a third one. Oh my gosh! That's you right. Guys did a great job. I got another another bump from Out of Yarn. Uh, Out of Yarn has been a constant like mouthpiece for the show. So if you're listening, Out of Yarn, uh, go ahead and check out. Uh, well, no, if you're listening, Out of Yarn, I want to tell you thank you. To the rest of you, go check out Out of Yarn. It's uh, yarn art on Instagram and uh, pretty interesting stuff. But yarn art or Out of Yarn, thank you very much for uh, for all of your support. I appreciate it. Thanks for telling people about the show. All right, let's do this. The final bean out of eight. It's a big week. And don't forget, y'all can make them bigger weeks. Go ahead and share the hashtag HP out loud and my tag, my handle, at Sidecar Stories. That way I know. That way I know how to find them. Okay. What am I getting here? First of all, before I chop into it, Throw back a little bit more from Joe. Um, let's see. Hmm. Because I'm trying to decide before I chomp into it, is another spicy one? Do I have to steal my nerves for it? Lisa says, I will share, but no spicy beans. Okay, so I've got a bit of a buffer. That way if I need a break, if I'm just like, if I got to tap out or something after a Carolina Reaper bean, uh, I can be like, all right, this is, I'm, I'm putting my Lisa Hall bean in early. <laughs> okay. It is definitely more challenging. See, for some reason, that, that sriracha one d didn't taste nearly as hot as jalapeno. Well, it's the the coolest one on the hotometer. Oh, sriracha is the least the yeah. the least hot. Okay, and the jalapeno is the next one. The next one. Gotcha. Okay. And all right, makes sense. Is all the way over here. I've never had jalapenos that were that hot. It that was that was hotter than any jalapeno I've ever even had. I don't know. Okay, here we go, folks. I don't think this is a spicy one. But, of course, I just had a spicy one before. Hard to tell. Oh, let's see. Oh, no. This is like, um... 
Oh, I'm getting strong, like, lemon bar vibes. But then again, I guess lemon for a blueberry not ten minutes ago, so... Hmm. Oh, is it Blue's turn for a cameo? <laughs> Alright, so... Blue does not... Blue does not like to be picked up very much. But Cass is going to try and bring him over for a cameo. I'm going to get out of the way. Say hello to Blue. Blue, say hi. Say hi, Blue boy. Very <laughs> grumpus. He's a grumpy boy. It's great because... Yes, his eyebrows always look like that. Yes, he's always got the mad, mad face. It's He's a great cat for that reason. I love looking at him because he always just looks so, like, serious and concerned. He is the face of Rufus Scrimgeour, honestly. Um, okay. Like I said, I'm getting lemon bars, but I'm also getting, like, I'm, I'm getting lemon, but I'm also getting vanilla... He is a beautiful boy. He's old too, but he moves around like a like a very young cat. He's like fourteen or fifteen years old. He darts around. Yes. He doesn't hold still. He like Mostly out prowls. Of <laughs> okay. Yeah, and he's got he's so tightly wound. He is such an anxious cat with no reason to be. He embodies my spirit. We think it's because our other cat. And he got into sort of a territory thing at at one of the old places. But uh anyway, we've been here for a year, over a year. He should be he should be sort of He has, he's definitely mellowed out. That's true. He has evened out quite a bit. I was hoping it would be gone, but some things maybe never go away. He's a sweet boy though. He'll come up and, and come and knock his head into my arm, uh, or gently reach out and ask to be pet. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's a creepy little paw because he spreads his toes out. <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll tap on your arm a little bit. Like, hey, can you... I need to be pet. I need some affection. He's good about communicating his needs, at least in that way. Good for him. We could all learn a little something from him. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with... I, I got to go with lemon bar. That's what it's. That's what I'm getting from it. I've, I've guessed lemon too many times, but uh, I'm going to go with it. What do we got? Final answer. Orange sherbet. Orange sherbet? <laughs> These these spicy beans are gonna mess me up so much, folks. Oh yeah, he's playing his favorite game right now, which is <laughs> rub my face on the trash can and then yawn. Yeah, rub his face on the trash can liner just so we can hear the plastic crinkle around and then like yawn slash gag about it. I don't know why he does it. <laughs> it doesn't matter if like the trash can is totally empty, it's the sound of it or something that makes him gag, but he just goes. Tuna says, I do the same thing. <laughs> All right. One out of eight. Sam indeed cannot handle the spicy beans. Folks, thank you very much for spreading the word about the show. Uh, tell folks, because I'm actually just, um, I am just south of being a Discord partner. Now, it's not like Twitch where, um, you know, Twitch like gives me a way to actually like help to um, like augment my income. Like I've, I'm able to like help pay some of my bills using uh, some of the generosity that y'all have shown with this. Um, and it's helping to make sense for me to stream more. Um, it's not quite the same way as uh, on Discord. There's no like monetization aspect to it, but uh, it would allow me to do some more like personalization stuff. But folks, tell tell people about this channel. Tell people about Sidecar Stories. We always love to have more people in and I would love to be doing more and more all the time with this. Uh, more varied things have a more like, I would love to go from like, instead of having a weekly schedule, to having a monthly schedule where I'm doing enough things that I would do, you know, maybe certain things once a month. But I'm I'm uh, I'm very much looking forward to 
the other things that we can start to do with this channel. I'm super excited. I'm super excited. Folks, come back tomorrow. Be back here tomorrow for our Spout Lore session at noon Pacific time, uh, 12 p.m. Pacific, and then uh, at 2 p.m. Pacific, more games things. I'm not sure what we're doing. Uh, we might have another day where I let y'all vote. It might be Fall Guys Friday. It might be I might let y'all vote instead, but uh, go and hang out in the Discord. That's where I'll be asking for the vote. Everyone, thank you very much for being here. Sparkle, Lovegood, Frizz, of course, Joe, Lisa Hall, Mama Porkchop, Sloth Creatures, Gems, Tuna Sunday, Louis Allen, and then all of you wonderful people, uh, Mama Porkchop, etc. Hold on. Uh, and then uh, finally, of course, don't forget on Tuesday, get your questions in now because I'm going to want to take a look at them over the weekend, folks, for the AMA. I'm very much looking forward to it. Never done it before. I am anxious. I am excited. But you're going to want to get your questions in in the AMA channel under projects in the Discord. Everyone, thank you very much for being here. I love reading for y'all. It's been, it was, a, look, a little, little bit of a rough night on the reading side, but we got through it just fine, and I appreciate you all being here. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.